This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to Bleach Boys. It is the time everybody has been waiting for. All of your answers will... All of your questions will finally be answered. (laughs) (laughs) In Can't Fear Your Own World, Volume 1. It is the light novel that takes place after the end of Thousand Year Blood War. So, with that being said, if you are an anime-only watcher, which firstly, bless your heart. Second, if you don't want it to be spoiled, because there's a lot of stuff that spoils the fates of people in Thousand Year Blood War. A lot of stuff that got cut from the manga gets answered in this light novel. You've been warned. If you do want it to get spoiled, like maybe someone like my younger brother who loves spoilers, 10 out of 10, we got it. We're going to go over the whole novel step by step, beat by beat, talk about reactions, theories, what happened. It's going to be a good time, but there will be a lot of spoilers. I'm so excited. So we have talked for podcast after podcast, all the questions, Thousand Blower Part 1, Thousand Blower Part 2, Pythi's famous phrase, maybe we'll find out in Can't Fear Your Own World. The time is now. (laughs) So the time we read all of volume one, there's three volumes of Can't Fear Your Own World. Now, this is going to cover all of volume one right here. Part two is twice the size. We're going to cut that into two parts. Part three, also a little bit longer, might be a little bit short. We're going to cut it into two. So we're going to go five episodes of Can't Fear Your Own World. This is going to be kicking it off. So if you guys are reading along with us, you guys have any comments you want to leave, leave them as you're watching it. Timestamp it. Hit them up. We'll be in the comments. We'll respond to you guys. Of course, as always, Jose and Pythes are joining me for the road. It should be a good time. Get comfy, and we'll go into it from there. Oh, definitely get comfy, Mm -hmm. dude. I'm still full of turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are filming this right after Thanksgiving. Yep. Okay, so to kick it off, I thought something very incredibly funny. At the beginning of the novel, they have like a uh, basically collage of all these characters with like the little uh, introductions like Ichigo and all the people that are going to be in this novel. (laughs) Fucking Tokunata and Hakone, who are both the entries of the novel, they get sketches. Like, it looks like a Sanji gag from One Piece. (laughs) Everybody has a high quality Kubo art. And then then there's like, here's a little sketch, like a police profile sketch. No problem. I was like, all right, we're up to Banger Star. I was like, love that. I've already. I feel like I had a really interesting um, interaction or experience reading this novel as someone who's played uh, Bleach Brave Souls a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. where I'm already very familiar with the characters they introduced in this, and I'm familiar with moves and 
their Zanpakuto and yep. what their abilities do. And so there's a little bit of mystery that happens here. It's like, oh, I know what that does. I totally know what that does. That's, <laughs> that's like, how I was feeling throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. I'm like, oh, who could that be? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there's a mysterious character. I know them. I know what they do. I was like, I totally, I totally know this. So it was very interesting. And to see them kind of interweave characters in with a little bit of knowledge I knew from BBS, I was like, interesting it's like i'm almost getting like a one and a half experience here it, 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 it was it was, it was good. fun that's kind of an interesting way to take it because i found out about all these guys from the book mm-hmm. and then they were put in brave souls but for you to just be like i know that guy but i have no idea what he's actually doing yeah like it's the crazy. abilities and what he looks like or what any of these characters look like like sanosuke tokenata Kone, yeah is vivid in my mind like i know like the sketch that's in the book I have a high quality image of what these fuckers <laughs> look like. I know what their moves are. I know the like. I know the whole thing. What is their motive? What do they do in the story? I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I glossed mm-hmm. over that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, this is all MBBS. It's a weird half experience, you know. I will say the reason you know all their powers already is because Kage doesn't skip his soul bomb. <laughs> he yeah. shows the whole that thing. That is true, dog. So uh, real quick, we used to like to do this when we would review manga a lot. Um, for just a quick little review, what did you guys think of the novel, the first one? I genuinely enjoyed it. Okay. Love it. So I, I thought this was really interesting. So I was talking to somebody on Twitter about it, and I've mentioned in this podcast a lot that my favorite episode of anything is the episode after everything happens. Because then I like seeing, like, what's this person doing? Like, how did this person survive? I fucking love those episodes. This whole book is that. Yeah, The exactly. whole book is that. I was reading it. At one point, I'm like, Sam's enjoying this, <laughs> all this like random world it's building. The whole it's just book. like, it's what like you doing over this here. This is what this person was doing. Oh, you want to know how they survive? Let's go back in time and talk about it. Like, oh, uh, okay. I'm like, yes. like, yeah, this is interesting and really good. So I can't recommend enough to read this book. Now, we did talk about in a previous episode that there is a little bit of contention whether or not this is considered canon. And I think, Pythes, you were the one that said that it is canon until Kubo decides it's not canon. So, yeah. It's canon asterisk, you know, like when you sign to sign a TOS. That's what it is. Canon asterisk until Kuba it's decides. Canon un- it's canon until it's animated. <laughs> there you there go. You there go. you go. So let's kick it off. We're going to go right into it here. The book immediately starts with Ichibe and Kiraku, Shunsui. There's going to be a lot of switching between names that go back and forth depending on who's talking to who. I try to keep them the same, but you're going to have to work a little bit over time on this it, one. It was easier when you're reading it. Like, your yes. mind was able to keep yes. up with it. So, Ichibe and Kiraku talking, and Kiraku immediately calls out how had it not been Yuha, which we talked about before, Yuha Baha, I've learned since the dub, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would have been Ichigo. Straight up, flat out, is like, it would have been Ichigo to take over the name. And the Soul King in this is referred to as the Reo. A yeah. lot. I'm, I totally put Soul King for everything else. So just so you guys know, the Reo, Soul King, interchangeable. And Ichibe knew that Kiraku had given Soul tickets to Ichigo's friends just for that purpose. Like just in case because he too knew that it was going to happen. And Ichibe was actually a bro here. And he's like, hey, let's just keep that a secret from anybody else though. Like don't tell Central 46 because they'll be pissed. And that's when we see a giant hole bust up in the wall. And it's another than fucking Grimjo just full on that's bursting right. through. That's doing right. Fuck My boy. Want. It's still making the same interest he made in the original soul, fucking Soul Society. He gets the first character illustration in the book. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I was so excited. I was yep. like, damn. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do have a question, I guess. I, I maybe should look into it. The illustrations are done by Kubo? Kubo. Okay, cool. Cool. Love uh, it. Did you guys read the, the author's note in the back of the book? No, no not, not yet. Uh, so the, it's, it's just Kubo saying, God, I fucking love being done with deadlines. They suck. And now that I'm not doing weekly, my shoulder is all healed. Oh, so I believe he, 
That's good. And then it's the, it's the author, uh, Rigo Narita, who's just like, I fucking hate deadlines. My shoulder hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Love that. Love that. So, so these are all Kubo original drawings. Okay. Perfect. So right after this, we discover that Nell, Ichigo, and the rest of the gang rescued Hallible, which we've been talking about for a long time. Where the fuck is she? And they straight up say that they had no idea what Yuhabaha's plans were for her. They're just like, no idea what, what they were planning to do with her after the fact. No idea why she, she was being kept. They didn't know she's going to be a vanguard for them later. They had no fucking idea. And Ichibe comments that some whippersnapper has been up to no good while they've been fighting. Ichigo's Zanpakuto being created revealed a huge, basically, doorway in the ocean around where Oetsu's area was. And that's what we kind of talked about when that episode was happening, to see if we can see something in the water. Mm -hmm. We can't. And so Oetsu is brought back to life. All of the squad zero people brought back to life by Ichibe. And Oetsu is looking at all the damaged humanoid Zanpakuto that we saw from the Core 2 and all that. And I think even Core 1 we saw. And it looks like they were each attacked by different Zanpak toe, like fire, lightning, ice, etc. And Oetsu was wondering how many people were part of this invasion to get into this now damaged door that was hiding. And one of the, uh, the humanoid Zanpak toe speaks of saying that it was only just one person. And immediately with that information, Oetsu figures out who it is. He's like, oh, I think I know who it is then. Yeah. And the sword that has been stolen is called Iko Mikodomoe. And Uetsu says that it cannot be wielded by just anybody, and he wonders who the person that broke in is going to get to wield it for them. And this comes to my first one, so there'll be a couple times where I'm going to do this for you guys. I'm going to read a page here. I thought it was very fucking funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's go. We're going to go with page 39. We're like a book club now. Everybody, please turn to page 39. It's going to be a prologue, too. So let me go ahead and get it here. Bleach Boys Book Club. Let's go. <laughs> Wrong one. Page 29. I knew I mistyped that. 29. Very cool. first part of prologue. The second is what it's called. And it goes, once there was a man who lived in the soul society and revered a God who had saved his life. This man thought to walk the same path as his God. Though this man was a commoner from the Rukongai, he earned excellent grades at the Soul Reaper Academy. Okay, I'm just going to change that. I kept that. saying that the whole soul time. Soul Reaper Academy. And rose through <laughs> the ranks until he reached the level of assistant captain. Uh, lieutenant, whatever you want to call it. He was steadfast in his honor, loyal to his orders, and never shielded from danger if his companions were in peril. He would have risked his very life for the soul society. Yet, while he received fairness, he was callous towards his opponents and more than capable of hiding in the muck to launch a surprise attack, slaughtering and driving back the enemy for the sake of a greater cause. He was a soul reaper. He gave his enemies death. He cleansed death from the world. He transformed the human's death in the mortal world into salvation. He was beyond a doubt a model Soul Reaper, for better or worse. He embodied the essence of what it means to belong to the 13 Court Guard Squad companies. Now, never in a million years, if someone read that to me, I'd be like, Oh, Shuhei. That's Shuhei. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, man, who are they amping up? I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, this guy is like, is wild and out here. Yeah, that's a Shuhei Hisagi. That's who they're amping up there. I was like, never in a million years would I have guessed that. He's on the cover of the book, Sam. I, I, I'm just saying, if someone came up to me, he's like, listen, I'm going to describe a character from Bleach. And they read me that right there. Here's the description. Revere to God. Model example of Soul Reaper. Does whatever he's told. As long as there's something, you know, he saves everybody if they're in peril. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like Ichigo. Uh, I don't know. Like who, who could yeah, that be? Yeah, I don't know if he believes in gods. I could have gone in the whole list and got the Shuei at the bottom. Ichigo doesn't listen to fuck all. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I just read it. There's a couple of times. I think that's one of my other ones we're going to get to, too. Um, the author very politely shits on Shuhei a couple of times. Like, just yeah, straight yeah, up. And he's like the main character of this story. And what he wants you to know, not the best. Not the best. And a, I, it just made me laugh each time. It's so is. funny. Even the, yeah, you know, there was an interview that they did that we'll go over in like book three. 
the the author's like, I fucking love Shuhei. I guess he's the main character. <laughs> okay. So he wasn't That's sure, you know, him. book one and two. But by three, he's like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Continuing with the book, uh, they talk about Orihime. And they refer to her as the uh, her twin god reflection shield. And that the Thousand Year Blood War has been over for three days. And Orihime has actually saved most of the Soul Reapers that were on Death's Door. We pick up in front of the First Division barracks. They're getting ready to seal and send back Aizen. Which yes. I was just so excited. I was so I was like, excited this for this bit because Pythes and me I have talked about this, this bit before. <laughs> and I was so excited to finally read it. Eisen is, is so fucking cool the whole time this is going on. It was amazing. This is one of my favorite parts of the entire series of Bleach, period. <laughs> it's just like classic. So I wrote down quite a bit. We'll go over here. So they're getting ready to send Aizen back to to Mugen. And Kiraku straight up asks Aizen, like, yo, you got any last words? And the two of them immediately start playing this, like, mental game. And they go over it in the book where Kiraku knows that if he is to say anything crazy, he needs to immediately seal his mouth. Yep. Because even though he's completely sealed, he says that he would need to seal Aizen's voice at a moment's notice. As even though he is sealed, he can still do Hado. And then Aizen totally knows that is what Kiraku is thinking. Knows that he cannot say anything because then he will not be able to speak, period. And he knows that this is the case. So he's not going to say much. Aizen then continues on and says, unfortunately, there's no one here worthy of hearing my words. That includes you, That was Kiraku. so cold. Yeah. Like, my God. Yeah. And Kiraku just responds back, not, not letting it bother him. He's like, well, that's for the best. This is bad luck to be considered worthy by yep. you. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Damn. And so Aizen goes, though, I did want to chat with Ichigo Kurosaki for a bit. Maybe Kisuke Urahara got the wrong idea about me because, you know, he helped out at the end of the fight. Yeah, yeah. And Kiraku goes, well, Ichigo's already left to Kukaku's place or Hime and his dad, Ishin. And they go on to describe that from a military perspective, it would have been smart to have Ichigo there. But they were worried that Aizen might be able to influence the hollow within Ichigo. Yes. So they didn't want to risk it. That's so smart. Mm -hmm. The only thing I wish was that we got a, like a little bit of a what they were doing at Kukaku's house. Cause I think it was Ichigo yeah. there and Ishin went back. Right. We, we, yeah, we never see him. Yeah. We, we, yeah. by the time we they, get over to Kukaku's house later, they're they, already they, gone, they fucked right? up. I imagine they were partying. I, I would <laughs> yeah. hope so. It'd be so cool. if he's like, Hey, I made it back. Mm -hmm. And then just like a nice, by the return. way, we're, re by the way, we're related, I guess. Yeah. Ichigo would be so upset. He's like, I'm related to that. <laughs> mm. it, it, there's Dude, a he, lot of stuff that they set up in here was like, man, that could have been cool. Or like, that would have been cool to see. Yeah. I also think it would have been, they would never have allowed it, but I would have loved to have seen a chat with Urahara and Aizen again. I would have yes. really loved that. Oh my God. Sam, you, this book is just, man, I wish I had seen this in the manga, the series. <laughs> <laughs> shame, really a shame. So, Kiraku, Begins to take Aizen away, and Aizen questions him about seeing the Soul Society's original sin. And Kiraku stays quiet, doesn't say anything about it, and Aizen comments, What are you afraid a conversation with me will cause Soul Reapers to defect like Tozen? And then Shuhei appears from the crowd and yells at him to stop screwing with us. And they go on to say, which they, this is a question that I was having watching court to, that Kensei is currently in a state of suspended animation and want a squad tell special treatment capsules to revive because he's mm -hmm. dead. Mm -hmm. If you guys remember court two, yep. Kensei got ripped. He was a zombie under Mayuri. They're using a special treatment capsule. They never talk about it again. Kensei is good to go. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Don't ask questions. Solved. It's like, you know where Goku was in uh, the freezer, <laughs> yeah. freezer thing? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those things. <laughs> 
So Shuhei and Aizen go back and forth about Tozen here. And Aizen says the reason that he killed Tozen was for mercy. He knew that Unahana or Hime would have tried to save him when they arrived. And you guys just don't understand that what that would have meant for him. For a man like Tozen with such resolve, he would plunge into despair. And that's why for my most loyal subordinate, I bestowed him a merciful death. I'm like, holy shit. I was like, damn, that is so cold at yeah. the same time. It's beautiful. But it's cold. And I love they mentioned multiple times, like in the narration, that Aizen is just full on fucking with Shuhei here. Like, he does not give a shit about Hasagi. <laughs> doesn't know who the fuck he is. Like, he's just full on, like, I'm going to fuck this guy's day up. Aizen has to have some kind of amusement. <laughs> yeah. So Aizen, after he says that, then speaks to the rest of the Soul Reapers that were there and says that the time will eventually come when all of you see the Soul Society is all based upon a treacher treacherous fantasy. And then he gets sent off. Aizen continues taunting everybody. He actually uses a quote from Hitsugaya that Hitsugaya once told him and starts. To oh, you wrote it down. I didn't write you the quote down. down. Oh. I didn't write the quote down. Oh. So you want me to get the quote? Go for it. Go for it. I'm going to continue on and get the quote. So he's, he shoots. It's a quote his guy I told him and he starts to flex his spiritual pressure causing the people that were taking him away to be unable to walk and it, it's not until Kiraku like steps in and he's like dog I thought you said no last words like come on and I was in straight up it's like it's just fun I'm gonna be so bored down there by myself and that is like they wheel him away it was fucking such a good interaction I got it you ready yeah, go. Yep. Eisen whose body had been restrained in the chair tilted his head slightly as he turned his gaze toward Hisagi. Swinging a sword for duty alone is what a captain does. Swinging a sword out of hatred is just violence. <laughs> Toshiro Hitsugaya once spoke those words to me. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Dog, Aizen is just ready with a fucking comeback. Just like good to go. And I think there's even one point, I don't think I wrote it down, where Kiraku is telling him like, alright, come on, we gotta seal you up. And uh Aizen's like, do you even think the Soul Society is going to be here when I'm released? And yeah, like, I, well, I fucking like, love when he said that. That's our job to make sure. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sure, you will. What is, what is Aizen's best roast? I don't know because he has some pretty fucking good ones. And I like later in the story, we get to meet Ichigo's friends again, like Keigo and yeah. Mizuro. Um, and they very clearly talk about how because they have previously ran from Aizen, they're like, ah, no big deal at Hollow. Like, not the yeah, wind th of the world. Not you know? evaporate us. But it's like, it's nothing like Aizen. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> I, I got I got it on lock. Can I say it? Yeah, go for it. A soy phone says something. Cause is, this is the fake car career town arc. Soy phone says something about how the Central 46 was so stupid to fall for Aizen's, for like Aizen's plan. He goes, soy phone, don't make fun of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And then the... I think this is the end of the little prologue here, yeah. and I'm going to read you guys another page because I thought it was also funny, and they are shitting on Shuhei again, so we're going to go ahead and touch on it. This is page 43 at the very bottom in case anybody was following around at home. So it says, Shuhei Hisagi was neither a prophet nor omniscient. Omniscient? Omniscient. So naturally... Om omniscient. Omniscient. And so naturally yeah. had no way of knowing his future. He wasn't a hero who would go down in history like Ichigo Kurosaki. He did not have the brute strength of Kenpachi Uzuraki. He did not have the wisdom of Kisuke Urahara. He did not have the skills of Miyuri Kurosuchi. He did not have the status of Byaku Kuchiki, which that is, uh, he's got more to offer than that. Yep. But he did not have the talent of Toshiro Hitsugaya. He did not have the experience of Ginryu Sai Yamamoto, nor the brilliance of Shunsui Kiraku, nor the drive of Sajin Kamamura, nor the courage of Kensei Mugaroma. He was the type who dried himself over drinks, saying, whether I try to become a captain or stick to being an assistant captain, I can't even list all that I'm lacking. 
He had few heroic qualities, especially when it came to his own self-respect as a soul reaper. Shuei Hisagi still did not have the slightest clue. He did not have the slightest inkling that he would be the one to shoulder the fate of the world as he fought to protect the common qualities that served as the foundation for the 13 court guard squad companies. He came face to face with that reality just barely half a year later after the Great War ended. So funny as fuck. I like it almost reminded me of like Shazam. Whereas, like, he's summoning all the qualities of he doesn't have, he's not going to go down history like Ichigo. He's not strong like Kimpachi. He's going like, to hear him go bleach. <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn. So what does he got? Uh, well, he likes to really mull over drinks and kind of decide what he wants to do. It's like, man, that's rough. I mean, he's a cool guy. I, I think the yeah. purpose of that is that they're just kind of trying to drive down. We're like, listen, this isn't like some fucking prodigy child like Ichigo, like any of these people. This is a fucking regular model soul reaper who found himself at the center of this confrontation. Yeah. This is a story in which Ichigo is not in any of these books. You are dealing with a problem that he isn't here to solve. You are following this guy who is just some dude. I, I do like this though, because for me, I'm like, they can't call on Ichigo for every single little thing. See, and I always no. like that yeah. because, you know, like obviously our story and to think about it from a storytelling perspective, right? Obviously, we're going to follow the guy who like lives through these wars, like makes it through to the end. You're not going to follow the guy that's going to die right in the first fight, right? Um, but the 13 Court Guard squads have been around for fucking ever. And now, like from what we see as an audience, like, oh, they're always calling Ichigo. Like, get Ichigo here. Help us, please. Ichigo, save the soul society. Please, please. As cool as that is. But it's like, what do you guys do without Ichigo? Like, yeah, like, surely there's other stuff own problems. And that's kind of what it's, this is. It's like, listen, Ichigo's fucked off. He already saved the world from fucking Yuha Baha. Now, this is a soul reaper confrontation conflict. It's going to go to like just a random guy's going to take over. Shuei Hisagi. And uh, I, I like to describe uh, that as the safety net. It's Ichigo or Saitama or Goku. Doesn't matter what's going to happen. They're going to save the day. Mm -hmm. Ichigo's not here. Soul reapers, you got to solve this shit on your own. True true and i think that's good the only thing that i feel like kind of falls apart with that for me is if a conflict was so bad that it was going to affect the way of living for everybody you know it's gonna be um this crazy thing that happens why would they not call each guy you know like or, or at least have them informed yeah hey sam yeah Maybe we'll find out about that. After <laughs> your own world. There you go. Okay. So that was the end of the <laughs> prologue, by the way. That is just setting up everything that's going to come to happen here, which incredible banger of a start. I mean, you had Aizen. You had Grimjow. Mm -hmm. You had Shunsui. I mean, we get the part where uh, Halibut looks at, um, what's his name, uh, at Rayo. Right? Yeah, the Soul King. She, yeah. yeah, the Soul King. She looks right at him and goes, So that's what it is. Yeah, and she well, she also mentions, um, I'm sorry I didn't write it down, maybe I skipped over it. She also mentions that she sees why Eisen didn't like yeah. that thing. And I'm like, damn. And I was like, damn. So as soon as she was just like, Well, fuck this. And then they back off. Yep. But I will say I, I, I love the chemistry between Nell and Grimjaw. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. hilarious. It's it's all really good. And I thought the chemistry and the writing for all of the characters was pretty on like spot, spot on, on for all of the characters. I think they did a really good job. There were a couple of lines when I read them, I was like, Ugh, I don't think anybody would speak like that. But there was only like two. And I was like, all right, the rest of the time didn't even bother me. They've totally my characters, totally get it. 99.9%. Yeah. The author of this book uh, famously fucking loves Bleach. He wrote Spirits Are Forever With You. And apparently during that, Kubo had to tell him to back off because he was getting to shit that he hadn't talked about in the manga yet. <laughs> Love it. So, of course, he would have the voices of all the characters like perfect. Yeah. 
yeah, you did a really good job. I have no complaints about how he handled any of the characters. I know I've heard for uh, SFWY that some people, not me, I'm not Reddit, have said that the power scaling gets a little fucked up in that novel because mm-hmm. he makes some characters really fucking powerful. But so far, no problems here. Uh, shall we go over notes or we, we want yeah, to finish yeah, chapter no, one first? No, go, go for it. Anything that I missed on the prologue you want to touch on? Oh, yeah. So you skipped over the first thing that happens is sort of the, the – uh, this thing from the Soul Reaper, like, Academy book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, Seek Not Aesthetics and War, see, that, so that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that uh, in the new version, they mention uh, if you really want to protect something, attack the enemy from behind. I believe that's a callback to, like, chapter two or three, where uh, Ruki is telling Ichigo, yeah, you don't want to see what's under Hollow's mask, so hit him from behind. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's how... That's how um... Because you could see who they were before. Yes, yes, they, which they never show again. You know, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, they talk about that. If you break the mask, you start seeing their like human form, and you don't want to see it. That is, if that is true, that's an incredible callback. And then I just wrote Grimjaw wants all the smoke. <laughs> yeah, yes, he does. He's ready to throw down at a moment's notice. Uh, you know, Eisen Tim, when the book goes out of its way to describe him as the highest threat level, and it's just a dude strapped to a chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so good. And here's the here's a question that I don't think gets answered. Uh, what does Eisen want to talk to Ichigo about? I thought Eisen wanted to talk to Ichigo simply about the fact that that maybe Uraharkisuke was wrong about him. Like, yeah, because he had actually helped the Soul Society, you know, like he like helped protect what everybody else trying to protect so i think aizen was just being fucking snobby and he was like yeah let me talk to ichigo hey was was Uruhar wrong about me dog like what's up what's up man like i think just he just wanted faces. to further yeah. troll i literally think that's it he just wanted a major troll yeah he just wanted to continue it uh yeah that's it for now okay okay so that's the prologue all right we're gonna move on to chapter one now there's five chapters i believe in this book and there is one there's five chapters there's the prologue and then there's the interlude which is the very end so technically we'll call it seven chapters but officially there's five one thing i did forget uh it was uh ichibe makes a kind of subtle i guess you could say remark about how little he thinks of the iran car when he when he's like yeah you guys can go free it's all cool and then he just kind of off to the side says yeah if we if i just easily killed three minnows class hollows uh the balance of the world would be destroyed <laughs> nice yeah i thought that was kind of like a uh, nice compliment to nell and halibut and grimjo which kind of made them fuck off because uh grimjo wanted the smoke is how this came apart of course and uh each was like well i could kill you guys but then it would fuck up the balance so because they're they're in a class of their own for like yeah. the Ranka, the Ranka, and the Wekomundo and all that stuff. So if he killed all three of them right there, it would fuck up the balance. And the balance is already fucked because of the Quincy's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So Fuckers. he's like, "Yeah, I can't really do that. You guys could fuck off." And they're like, "All right, cool." They're just like, <laughs> Shit, dude, he thinks I'm strong. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I'm out. Would Grimjaw take that compliment? Mm, no, he would still try to throw. Uh, like I some think fist. so because I think even in the yeah. book after that was said, he was like. Okay, I really much want to find Ichigo anyways. And they're like, okay, cool. He's like, you're not the one I want. Uh, Peace. (laughs) All right, chapter one. This picks up several centuries ago. We're going to go. We meet a young Tozen before he was a Soul Reaper. In the Soul Reaper Academy, they suggest that you write down your wills when enlisting because you never know when you're going to die. And as such, Tozen is grieving a childhood friend named, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correct. Hopefully you know, Pythes. Kakio? Kakio? Keiko, Kakio, I don't remember. What are we going for the initial Beach Bleach Boys pronunciation? Oh, let's, fuck. Let's go. Let, let's just say Kyo. 
Kyo. Okay, We're going to go with short version, Kyo. Kyo. Yeah, Kyo. That sounds Kyo. nice. All right. And, and everybody can correct us in the comments. Yeah, and then if she ever shows up in the other novels, we'll, we'll fix it. So, Kyo, who went on to be a Soul Reaper and then was murdered by her husband after protesting the husband killing one of his own colleagues. Yep. And Kyo's husband is a member of the five great noble families because this is back before that the Sheba family got expelled. And Tozen and this unnamed Soul Reaper begin to talk about their mutual friend Kyo. And this is after Tozen had basically tried to storm Central 46, requesting an audience. The guards were going to tell him to fuck off, and this guy intervened. So they're talking about Kyo and her dream for peace and to this is her own dream, the way that she words it. She wants to protect the stars. And this unnamed Soul Reaper asks, even if knowing Kyo's goal was peace and she wanted to protect the stars, should either one of them seek revenge? Even if like if they have the power to do it, should they seek revenge? And Tozen responds no, as he wants to uphold Kyo's ideals and goals. Tozen finally asks what his name is, and he responds with Tokinata. That to- bitch Tokinata. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Tokinata Suna Yashiro. And Tozen immediately knows something is wrong because the name sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And Tokinara responds, uh, thinking like, well, what was it? And Token, or sorry, Tozen responds, uh, thinking like, what was your name? And Tokinara cuts him off instantly. He's like, you didn't hear wrong. He's like, you're correct in what you're thinking. And he says, I was going to kill you if you said you wanted to get revenge. As nothing is worse than some random guy in the Rukonga wanting revenge. And Tozen screams. Like, he gets pissed off that this guy is here. This is... Uh, the Kyo's husband, just for anybody not following. And Tozen screams and attempts to attack Tokunata. And Tokunata just taunts him, saying, well, should he, like, follow my wife's footsteps? Because she would forgive me. She would forgive me. She doesn't want to hate. He's such a dick mm-hmm. about it. I'm like, God, I hate yeah, this guy. Yeah. He's like, she would have forgiven me. And then Tokunata full-on tosses Tozen to the ground. And Tozen still continues – or Tozen. Tokunata still continues to taunt Tozen, basically saying, like, I'm just a grieving husband. Like, she would have forgiven me. Shouldn't you do that? Aren't you her friend? Like, did, didn't you not want revenge? And Tokunata presses his sheathed Zanpakuto, crushing Tozen's throat. That shit was fucking hard. Yes. I was like, damn. And so Tokunata has Tozen pinned to the ground and calls over to the guards to basically take Tozen away from here. As Tozen is being pulled away, Tokunata turns and says, nothing I said to you was a lie. I just found a, I just found Kyo's dream so loathsome, it sickened me. And then we cut back to present day. So fucking gnarly. What a fucking asshole, so- though. I was like, shit. So I know I know this has been kind of a meme, but can you guys understand why I call him that <laughs> yeah. bitch Tokunata? He gets worse later on. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he could yeah. get worse. You guys haven't seen shit yet. So I think I, I find it interesting because we see Tokunata do uh, some more shit talking coming up later mm-hmm. in the story. And I f- almost see like there's two different kinds of shit talking where Tokunata is very aggressive in the way that he does it. Where yep. he's like full on out in the open aggressive as shit where Eisen when he does it he's just kind of being a little sly about it just kind of being like a little smart and trying to see what he can get you in little jabs and stuff like that Tokunata is like yeah I mean I, I killed him oh what I'm sarcastic come on and like Eisen's like oh well, if you think about this you know and then he gets under your skin it's interesting to see it's two different methods mm-hmm. one is more direct I guess and the other one's just more of a slow burn <laughs> yes exactly Aizen is ah I gotcha and Tokinata makes you go you motherfucker <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it is so we cut to Fucking present day him. we continue with Tokinata and he awakens with a child around the age of 15 with an androgynous face we know is Hikone and the chapter for this part is basically uh, leads to Tokinata torturing a bunch of assassins that he sicked on himself so the assassins think that he's been hired for the Sunyashiro family and Tokunata defeats them, has them all fucking down on the ground. And he's like, look, look over there at the table. Look over the table. And it's the whole Suni Yashiro family already dead. Yep. And he's like, I sicked you guys on myself. 
And even then, you guys don't want to stop. And they're ninjas. They're assassins. They're not yeah, saying they're, anything. They're trying to complete the job. Mm-hmm. And so Tokunata is purposely going out of his way to get a reaction out of the assassins. Like, he's trying to get them to break their thing. It's brutal, though. He stabs mm-hmm. one in the, in the spine and so I put on her fingers and stuff. I put Tokunata spends several hours crushing every bone in their body. And then, this is from the book, ensuring that they're all dead. Yup. And the chapter yep. ends with Tokunata turning to Hakone, saying it's time for him to go announce that he's succeeding his uncle as head of the Suni Yashiro clan, as they were killed by a bunch of thugs, and that him and Hikone are equals, as Hikone will be the future Soul King. And that's the end of chapter one. Fuck Tokunata. So immediately when he goes Soul King, uh, or he says he's like, Hikone's gonna be Soul King, I'm like, so is this like an Ichigo clone, or what's going on here? He gets compared to Ichigo yeah. later on. So, uh, yeah, Tokunata is brutal. So, like, he, one of the ninjas at one point is like, why would you do that? Like, why would you say, you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I just wanted to see. He's like, could you do it? Mm, maybe. I'd like to point out that the whole Tosin flashback is framed as a dream Tokunata was having. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. That he straight up says, uh, it was a very <laughs> pleasant dream for me. <laughs> a good dream for him is when he taunted a, he taunted a blind man. Yeah. A blind poor man. Cause he's yeah. really Rukongai district, like, th- th- and he got him beat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "All right, all right, everybody, go police brutality this guy. I got to go <laughs> straight up, dude. Back on to aristocrat things for me. No worry." <laughs> Such a dick. Fuck Tokinata. Mm-hmm. So that, that was chapter one, which is very short. The other chapters are not that See, short. I thought I wasn't expecting there to be as little chapters as there was and so i was like oh, okay chapter one was easy what a breeze nah fuck that chapter two dragged on so long I was like, when's the next part because you can't stop halfway through a chapter no i couldn't wrong. i literally that's why i was reading so that's much. the one thing jose and i talked about is it is so deceiving how little chapters there are because like there's not a nice break you know it's like it's all like boom this happens now we're gonna hop over here that's what's happening over here they didn't know this was happening over there i'm like geez like man. I was just like, oh well fuck well now i gotta keep reading and it's one in the morning <laughs> you, you could add a chapter break in between every chapter and they would flow much better yeah they're long <laughs> especially the next one dude it's funny because my my wife's uh an english major so she's like oh she's like nice you're reading your book you know she's kind of taunting me because i tell her i can't read <laughs> yeah. and so she's like oh she's like there's no pictures in this one how are you doing with this one buddy like, shut up <laughs> <laughs> shut up leave me alone mom <laughs> i'm doing okay did you did you immediately show her the picture of Grim Jam and go, yeah, there's a picture here? I told here. her there are some pictures in yeah. there. There's about five per book, all right? <laughs> You'll get more as they get longer. Hey. Uh, anything that you want to touch on for Chapter 1? I know it was real short. No, I, mine uh, was covered. Yeah, so I, I, I started a counter. Uh, and it won't be as often, I guess, for later books, but I just wrote a counter uh, called uh, Fuck That Bitch Tokinata, number <laughs> one. Okay. And then I wrote, the toast and flashback is amazing. And then uh fuck that bitch Tokinata number two. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so I will be counting down all the times in my notes where I said fuck Tokinata. There we go. On to the next one. All right, chapter two. Um, this one I immediately wrote down because I thought it was so fucking funny. Uh Tozen was editor of the Sarate Bulletin when he was, I was still there. Say, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So funny. And it's like this whole thing that set up was like, yeah. Tozen was the editor in chief and he was super like specific about what he liked to run and Shuhei Sagi's trying to follow in his footsteps like how how <laughs> well I mean he could have had someone read it to him <laughs> true yeah his brain that, that's where my brain went afterwards because I laughed initially I'm like he can't read anything they print one braille copy 
That yeah, that's true. Just for him. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, but okay. Here, here's some deep ass bleach lore they don't get into. Uh, uh, so like all the captains and some assistant captains have like an article that they run every now and then or a column in the magazine. Yeah, where they can write uh, like short stories and stuff. Short stories or advice or like uh, my Yuri answers scientific questions. Tosin's is all about his view of justice and people hate it because it's so boring, but <laughs> they couldn't cancel. They couldn't cancel it because he was the editor in chief. <laughs> I love that. So funny. He would have liked Batman. Would he? Because Batman does go against the law. True. Oh, you're right. True. He would have liked Superman. maybe Captain America. Oh, yeah. Captain Superman. America. <laughs> yeah, Superman. He would have Superman. Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Boy Scout. Maybe Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So after this little blurb about what the Serite Bulletin is and all that stuff, Shuhei immediately decides to go to Kukaku. And this yeah. whole setup is uh, Hisagi. Shuhei decided to restart, like relaunch the magazine about three months from this current time. And he's going to do a recap of – it's titled The Soul King Protection War, which is what we know as the Thousand yep. Year Blood War. Yeah. Because a lot of people that were like on the front lines and all that don't exactly know the full story of what happened here. So he decides the first person he's going to go ask is Kukaku. And then Kukaku, uh, classic Kukaku, not interested, uh, don't, doesn't know much. I just did my job. She says that she only did the job of shooting Squad Zero and Ichigo up. She knows nothing. And if he really wants to know some details, ask her idiot brother Ganju. So Hisagi goes to leave, and he sees three figures looking at his motorcycle that he rode over here. Oh, my God. Anything about mm-hmm. you know the, the motorcycle and all of you know Shuhei's yeah. interests mm-hmm. cracked me up. So funny. <laughs> so these three people are wondering how someone was able to get a motorcycle here. They've never <laughs> seen one before. And uh, they get something like this here, and then they said even as full bringers, which hint, hint, nudge, nudge, they were only able to bring back things that they were really attached to, like their necklace and the clothes that they were wearing. Hisagi immediately gets into a fight with these three people as he recognizes that one of them is Genjo, and he asks what it is that they're scheming. Tsukushima, being the bro that he is, immediately gets ready to fuck up Hisagi. He's like, yep. yo, this guy fucking with you? Like, let's beat his ass. But Genjo is the nice one that actually pulls him back and tells him, don't worry about it. Um, just as they're about to go to blows, Ganju comes riding in on Bonnie, classic, and stops the fights, face plants into the fucking dirt. Um, <laughs> also worth noting, Girko's there. He's just kind of hanging out, doing his thing, but that's the third figure that was I hanging out there. I legit forgot Girko was there for the longest mm-hmm. time. Yeah, because he got roasted by Kimbachi. So yeah, he got slash. one shot sent to the fucking like, underworld, gone. Might be one of the hardest kills in Bleach ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They actually touch on it later, and I think I wrote it down where they're talking about Girko. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's, like, towards the very end. And they're talking about how, like, even though he got one shot by Kimpachi, he's still, like, low-level captain. That's because, what, like, yeah, that's you what can't saying, compare like, it to Kimpachi's power because Kimpachi is just going to wreck anybody. So it's, like, you got to give him, a, like, a, a, a retry. So and That's the most not fair. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. I saw them appear there, I'm like, oh, they had to have died, right? And mm-hmm. then I yeah. realized, I'm like, shit, Ichigo killed him. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh. 16 year old killed him yep you remember he had to go get the body yeah he asked for it so he can give it a proper burial and i was like damn my boy that seems great because he was i'm not asking you for the body i'm telling you i'm taking the body yeah there's some really interesting stuff that gets discussed in this novel a little bit of a tease for later about the whole turn of ginjo and stuff like that really that shit was nuts damn after this little uh, interaction, we cut over to the Squad 1 barracks, and we meet a pick up with Kiraku, and he's worried about something and states that Nayura Amakado, which is a new name that I don't think we've ever known nope. before, had, just came to see him with some guards, and Nayura is the youngest member of Central 46. They, I don't know if it's a she. I assume it's a she. It is a she. Yeah, it's a she. 
Okay, she acts as the voice of the Soul King currently, and she appears to be just 10, but you can tell she has lived many, many years longer than that. Uh, she has actually led to a very steady, positive changes in the Central 46. So mm -hmm. after Aizen murked them, they're all kind of starting to become a little bit better. And she came to tell Kiraku about the assassins that have murdered the head of the four great noble families, which is the Sunni Ishiro clan. So they are the head of the four great noble mm -hmm. families. And that because of the war and the still recovering from that, they're going to write it off as the entire family fell ill from distress during the battle and died. Kiraku worries that this may become something that the 13 court guard, guard squads are going to get involved in in the future and requests to now have Hisagi come meet him at once, as well as Kensei. We go back to Kakaku's place here, where everyone is now gathered drinking as Hisagi is attempting to get information about the events out of Ganju. But Ganju takes this time to just complain. He just absolutely I fucking complains about how unfair everything was. And that when Ichigo, so Ichigo blew past them, came back up to get Chad and Ganju. And he was like, well, we were going to open him a way to back down. And like he went right past us. And he said that after the fight, Ganju immediately complained to Ichigo. And Chad was just like, oh, thank goodness it was over. So it made him look bad. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> That's so bad. funny. Fucking Chad. So, so funny. And so Hisaki like keeps trying to figure out what's going on and he just like fucks off. He's like, okay, I'm going to go after Genjo now. And so he asks Genjo what it is they even did to him to make him hate Soul Reaper so much. And once he found out about the badge spying on him, why didn't he just immediately tell Ukutake? And this is really fucking interesting. So I hope I worded this correctly. It was a little confusing when I read it the first time. Genjo says that he had Tsukushima erase his old past, but in that old past that was erased, somebody had killed his friends. Mm -hmm. And in that old past, there was no Ichigo. There was no like this character that was there. It, so who could have killed his friends? A Soul Reaper did it. And was it Ukataki that sent that Soul Reaper? He doesn't know, but that's how he originally found out about the badge spying on him. So he found out after his friends were originally killed, he's like, fuck. And that's why. So Genjo says after he repaid his debt to Ichigo and Thousand of Blood War, he actually wanted to come speak to Ukatake and figure out how much of it was his doing. And that's when he found out that he kicked the bucket, which super fucking interesting. So, so I, I guess I have a little bit of a question and uh, may, I don't know if there's a spoilers that'll come later. Uh, Jose, mm -hmm. you may you might have interpreted it. I, is this like a separate timeline where the full bringers that we know all got killed or did he have no. a group before this? No, he had a, group, a previous group. He had a group before, and I won't say anything else. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, that's just what I want to make sure. I didn't know if we were going some like Avengers timeline hopping no, bullshit, no, no. but yeah, okay, got it. Uh, as he saw, he's kind of taking this in. His pager rings because we're back in the fucking seventies, and he gets a call to go to the <laughs> Squad One barracks. And Ganju comments on if maybe they're. Oh, this is Ganju. I thought I was still thinking I'm talking about Genjo. So Ganju cuts in and comments that if maybe their brother Kaya knew anything about that. And Kakaku says, "Who knows? This is the time for us to butt into Soul Reaper business." We find out the circumstances of Kayan. Oh, this is just me. We do find out as they're having this discussion that the circumstances of Kayan Shiba's death and the disappearance of the Ishin uh, directly led to the downfall of the Shiba clan. That's yep. all for the Kukaku interaction right now because we're going to cut over to Squad 1. But super interesting stuff dropped there. Yeah, because I had originally written, I'm like, why were the Shiba clan like mm -hmm. disowned by the like the higher And we find and out a little bit more later from Tokunata that yeah, has to do with that. Yeah, I was that. like, so wow, this is fucking insane. If, if you've ever watched Bleach and you want to know like what did happen in the Shiba family, uh, they bring up, you know, like I thought Kayan being brought up because that's a great point. 
Cayenne was probably active during the time Utaki was spying on Ninjo. Yep. So it's super interesting. Can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So moving on to the Squad 1 command room now. This is a half hour later after this talk. Garku summoned Kensei and Hisagi here to talk about a special order. Central 46 wants a special release of the Serate Bulletin, and they want it released to everybody even as far as the Rukon guy announcing the new head of the Sune, the Sune Yashiro clan. Kuraku tells him that the new head is none other than Tokunata. And he's sure Hisagi's heard of him. Hisagi said when he was looking into Tozen's backstory originally, when he's trying to find some way to sway him to come back, that's when he figured out about Tokunata. And that's when he saw the story about him murdering his wife and not being charged. Kuraku says he isn't going to conjecture, but Aizen eliminates Central 46, and then one after another, those closest to Tokunata were assassinated. So now conveniently, there isn't anybody left, and he's been promoted. Everyone in the room is shocked to kind of hear Kiraku talk bad about somebody because that's so I, outside right? of his character. I was just like, Damn, God. And even Kiraku is like, hey, listen, I'm not a saint. There's even some people who read me the wrong way. I have that written in my notes. I'm like, yes. yeah, Kiraku doesn't like everybody. And one last thing is uh, there is a whole part about like Shuhei wondering who's going to fucking fit the bill because he doesn't get that much budget to run these papers. And Central 46 <laughs> is going to foot all of it. The whole yeah, thing. I fucking love it. that. He's like, oh, I don't have the money for this, man. Mm-hmm. And that's chapter two. That, that is it. So I, I think, listen, credit to myself. I think I did a good job slimming that down because yeah. that's a long chapter. There's a lot in it. The only notes I have on here are like, LOL, uh, teach me Mr. Shuhei. That should crack me up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is the name of his article. Yeah. Which is why I thought it was hilarious that he's just like, yeah, when people want something, I'll just, I will yeah. fucking write it down for them. Uh, I, I like that they bring up the. How does it, how does he get gasoline for the motorcycle? Yeah, like, where's yeah. all the all this which stuff? they touch on later as well? Because mm-hmm. so I didn't write it here because they bring it up later. But funny, Dude, really I was funny. cracking <laughs> up when he finally told us how mm-hmm. he did it. Yep. Uh, so I I looked this up because I didn't know. So they mentioned the specific model of motorcycle. It was a Kawasaki. Kawasaki Z2 is a real fucking motorcycle. <laughs> nice. Okay. I, I looked up pictures. It looked the fucking same. Very cool. And uh, Nayira, uh, she is a character from another novel that stars Kira. I- I'll just uh, briefly, it's your classic, uh, uh, the-, the aristocrat wants to see what life is like for the the spoiled masses, or I guess the unwashed masses. And, you know, uh, goes around, they have adventures. Uh, she sees that uh, the poor are actually pretty good people. She changes her outlook. And then I think Kira protects her from Shaz Domino during the, uh, during the first invasion. So it's almost... Like in Game of Thrones, when Joffrey was actually starting to become a good guy, when he mm-hmm. was Mar- with Margaret, was that the correct uh, woman? I think so. Marjorie. 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 Yep. Like the butter, or not butter. Marjorie. Yeah. Was- Marjorie. Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So when I first read it, I was popping the fuck off because I was like, "Oh my god, they mentioned that you're a holy shit," and I was like, "Oh, she and Shunsui are helping stuff to become better." Also, very similar to the Lady Ruricio story. I hate that bitch. Ex- <laughs> yeah. Except except Nayira doesn't suck ass. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to touch on for chapter two, Pythes? I know I kind of skimmed over a lot in that chapter. Uh, no, that was all I wrote. I wrote awesome. that. I wrote the Kawasaki. And then I mentioned something that we already talked about. Okay. We're going to move on to chapter three now. Now, I don't want this to dissuade anybody, but it does start with Hanatoro. Okay. And he's going to be in this novel a lot. He made me laugh He's great. A lot. He he's great, though. Trust, 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 trust. So we're outside of the squad four barracks and Hanataro just saw Hisagi run by headed to the squad nine barracks with a very scared look on his face and is then told that somebody is waiting to see him inside of the squad four barracks. 
and waiting for Hanatoro inside is Sonosuke, which we find out is Hanatoro's brother and the ex-lieutenant of Squad 4, who is currently decommissioned and retired from the 13 Court Guard squads. Scandalous. They, I do like what they mentioned about the swords right there, yes, too. Yes, yes, that he basically, yep. when you retire from a 13 Court Guard squads, you're asked to hand over your sword. So he is now serving as the Serate Shino Seiquin. Is that how I would say that? Seiquin? I, I I we're going to swing for the fences yeah. and say I pronounced that right. Shino Seiquin Delicate, also known as the highest authority in the relief office that caters to the nobility and the four great noble clans. So basically, they kicked him out of the Soul Society, or the, you know, the 13 Court Guard squads. The aristocrats are like, hey, you're good. You might be a fucking dickhead, but we'll take you up here. Yep. And that's what he's doing now. I can't remember if he was kicked out or if he retired uh, on purpose. I so think he, he retired he could go on purpose. Part. Yeah, yeah so I think... I think it says, let's see, I might have wrote it down coming up, but I do, I do think it says that he retired to go move to this other place. He's another smug bat. He's another smug bastard. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He gets some lines later that kind of uh, hint to a little something, something we'll get to at the end. So Sonosuke says he has some work in the area and decided to drop by to give Hanatoro some, uh, I'm going to call it school shooter advice. Dude, and he says, up. how would you feel you about that down too? Yes. Yeah. He says, how would you yeah. feel about taking a break from the fourth division? He states <laughs> he hears a lot of things in his job. And now that we're through the war and likely won't have another one anytime soon, the Sarate will most likely be hitting a rough patch. And it's best to avoid any positions of responsibility. A classic don't come to school tomorrow. Exactly. I was like, my God, <laughs> dude. Yeah. I wrote I wrote down that exact phrase. It's like a school shooter saying, hey, man, don't come to school. Tomorrow. Yeah, which, you know, hey, it's his little brother, which I feel like is a good nod towards it's his a character. It's being like, hey, man, you know, take care of yourself. Yeah, like maybe and, this job ain't made for you, homie. Like, uh, you know, take, take a dip. Let's just say he's not in, a, not in a position to openly say, hey, man, you should get the fuck out. Yep. <laughs> okay. So after that short little interaction, we cut over to the world of the living. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we get to see our good friends Keiko and Mizuiro, who I can never pronounce the name. So sorry, everybody. You, you did it pretty well. Uh, and every they're running from their lives from a hollow. And followed right behind them is a new Soul Reaper assigned to the Karakura town, Ryunosuke, which we met at the beginning of Thousand Year Blood yep. War, the anime. All three are running from this crab-like uh, hollow, as Mizuiro recalls a time where Ichigo told him that if anything ever happens run to the urahara shop you'll be safe from any hollows there and mizuero has actually gone to the urahara shop since then and he bought a zeta ball from them it's an electromagnetic capture ball meant for spirits and otherworldly beings and so he turns and throws at the hollow which zaps him and slows him down for a moment and in mizuero's mind he's like cool ryanosuke he's gonna hop in uh he's gonna pop him ryanosuke is stunned that this is happening. He's like <laughs> that was so loud what was that he has no fucking idea and doesn't do anything. The three just begin to run again, and that's when we see a new person hop down and yell at Ryanosuke and comes down and one-shots the hollow, and it's none other than Shino Matarame. When I saw that last name, I was like, does he have a sister? Yeah. Does our boy Ikaku have one? Which they, they talk almost immediately after, um, so they don't really know if she is Ikaku's sister or cousin due to the parents dying, and then the both of them just got passed around from relative to relative mm -hmm. to relative, so they don't know the exact relation, but they just call it, you know, they, they, they're related. Well, well, they're related. Yeah. Ikaku seems like the kind of guy who's like, eh, details, details, who cares? Exactly. Related. She's family. Mm-hmm. So the two new characters, where we have Shino and we have Ryunosuke, the two of them have been assigned to the new car or the Karakura town region, and they talk for a little bit when all of a sudden they hear a uh, chanting coming from one of the streets. And Mizuru explains that ever since the great quakes that happened due to the Soul King's death, that not even science could explain why the quakes were so long. A lot of religious organizations have been using that to make a stand for themselves to explain what happened. A lot of people not only felt the quakes, but they also sensed that they were caused by something else. They say the name of that organization is dot, 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 cutaway. That cliffhanger. I was mm -hmm. so mad at that. But so 
it's very interesting. It's, uh, you know, very interesting. It's real world stuff where they talk about, like, listen, these quakes that were happening. Obviously, we saw it happen with Squad Zero in the anime. Spoiler, you're going to see a bigger one happen when the Soul King dies. Yep. And they say it was so strong that a lot of normal people could sense that it was otherworldly. Like, there's yeah. something else happening here. So because that became so common, these other religious groups were like, hey, this is what happened. This Trust us. This, my God told me this. And so there's a lot of religious organizations. Welcome that are to my cult. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But th- that whole interaction between all of them was hilarious. Yeah, so funny. It w- was it Mizuiru? I thought it was funny yeah. that he picked up the the Zeta ball and he goes like, "Oh, that's what it does to those things." Imagine if I hit a person with <laughs> yeah. this. He's like, "I could have <laughs> killed somebody." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, is it that an item you get in BBS? Yeah, it is. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's. Yeah. It's all coming back to BBS again. <laughs> oh no, uh, we owe a lot to that game. Ah, that fucking game. I do Dude, love the interactions between Kago and Shino, and he's he's like, "Oh." You're the guy who took care of Ikaku? And he's like, no, he, like, blackmailed me and had me <laughs> help him out. Yeah, and even he's like, yeah, that fucking baldy. And she's like, I'm just going to ignore that you said that because you'd be pissed. <laughs> like, Don't ever call him baldy. That's we also get the interaction president right down about um, Keigo asking Mizuro, like, why are you so calm? He's like, oh, well, that's kind of a waste of time to be freaking out. And that's when Mizuro thinks back to Aizen. And he's like, yep. this is nothing. Like, the feeling that we had with Aizen is way worse than this thing. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. This dude. This chapter was so funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- those were all the notes I had for that segment. Was just pretty much the interactions between them, the stupid Zeta Ball stuff, and then so just like, what the fuck kind of a cliffhanger is that? Yeah. Well, the, the cliffhanger pays off almost instantly. It, it does. So. Yeah. I, I just wrote down like I cannot wait for these guys to get to this chapter. <laughs> so we let's let's continue on here. We'll pay off the uh, cliffhanger. We cut over to a president's office of a large corporation, Ooh. and we see Yukio now president of his dad's company, playing his classic video games as a mysterious woman wearing all black enters and she does the usual japanese business pleasantries thanking him for meeting her and he is immediately like what do you want and she goes on to continue like oh well thank you so much and it's basically gone on to explain that yukio took over his father's company with the goal of creating a foundation for the future that would welcome other full bringers into it the company had actually grown so large that he eventually enlisted ruka and as they're speaking ruka went to go get jackie so mm-hmm. that they could bring jackie into the fold as well Yukio pulls out a business card out of his pocket and he goes, what is your real aim woman? As he sees what is written on the business card and her name is Aura Michibane execution representative, which if mm-hmm. anybody's not following execution is the old full bringer group that Genjo and Tsukushima were part of scandalous, right? I thought mm-hmm. that was crazy. I was like, does she know Genjo? Uh, at least I don't know at this point. Yeah, we don't yeah. know. We don't know. We don't know what her deal is. Just as Yukio is asking what her deal is. We don't know. Yep. <laughs> so, Here's something that I didn't really put together. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, do you remember those little uh, the month comics that uh, Kubo put out? He put an illustrations for all the characters for the calendar for uh, the new year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With all the art of all the Bleach characters. Sure. Uh, Jackie, Jackie, and Mo were both in business suits. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They were. Okay, interesting. Kubo, Kubo's cooking, man. <laughs> so now we go over to Weko Mundo right after that interaction. This is a half a year later. We see Nell, Halbo, and Grimjo. They make the return to a Weko Mundo now in the middle of a civil war. They explain that multiple sides have tried to take over since the absence of Halibo and Aizen, of course. And as Halibo, Grimjo, and Nell, they're all coming back with the injured Halibo. They said multiple groups tried to attack them on their way back to get them out of the picture while they're tired. And they all had the tables turned on them. 
And they go on mm-hmm. to say, which Jose, I'm sure you love, said some even had the poor fate of running into an irritable Grimjo. That's my boy, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, read that. I'm like, damn right, dude. Show, yeah. some, show him some respect. Like specifically some poor fuckers ran into Grimjo. <laughs> like, sorry, man. Sorry, dude. You just got wrecked. Because, you know, he ain't going to show Every. no mercy. The other two, they'll be like, okay, you know, we'll just They're be like, you. We Grimjo's going to beat your ass. Nah, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Dude, I smile every time I read that chapter. <laughs> yeah. I just picture Grimjo doing the same thing he did a loopy to some of them. Like, oops, my hand slipped. Yeah. So they fucked that up. Lowly and middly when he just blows away the top half. Yeah. Of the yeah. Holy shit. So speaking of, one of the sides now vying for power in Wekomundo is being led by uh, Pythes, your favorite Rudebone. Rudebone when is When I scary. saw that, I was like, Pythes, my boy. And under his command is Minnelly and Lolly. Mm-hmm. I thought was so funny. Yeah, and <laughs> goes on to explain that Rudebone, in like his inner self, in his vision, he still obeys Aizen. He admires the order that he formed in Wekumuna by getting rid of Bargon, and that's what Rudebone wants to maintain. Rudebone admits that he just isn't as strong as the Espada or the other Vassalordes, but he wants to create something that he can show Aizen he created with the power he was given to by Aizen. And so if Aizen returns, and even if Aizen is pissed off and strikes him down instantly for how messy and sloppily he did it, he would be happy. Yep. He says his main goal is to maintain order, but he still allows Loli and Minnelli to be part of it because of their loyalty to Aizen and also their power in taking down enemies. So he specifically gets in an argument with Loli and Minnelli, and Loli and Minnelli create such a disturbance. He's like, I'm still letting you guys in because you guys help out, but I would never normally like, yeah, like fuck like, you guys. <laughs> normally, I would let you guys go rot and die, but you know. Yeah. You guys, like, you guys have hustle. some power that I need, so like, sorry. Loli is in the middle of basically calling out how Rudebone never actually gets into the fights himself, and he's constantly sending everybody else into it, when all of a sudden an arrow is shot down at them from above. And Loli looks up, and we see it's Giselle and Lil Toto up to the usual bickering up on a rock above them. Lil Toto is telling Giselle to go down there and turn them into zombies. And Giselle states that she knows it only works temporarily on hollows because as we've found out in thousand blower anime hollow is poison to the quincy's and plus she said it makes her tired so she doesn't really want to do it and then we see who else is there with them is bambietta oh my god when i was like still she's like yeah you know what i was like it's Gigi's little stuffed animal at this point. Yeah. She just carries her So they, they talk about that basically she is only barely functioning as a corpse doll. That Bambietta is so fucked up. And Bambietta begs for some of Giselle's blood. And she replies, well, if you want it, you know what you got to do. you know." And Bambi replies, defeat the enemy. And she walks forward and begins to unleash her bombs in the Iran car. And they end this little segment with, to find out how they survive, we must go back in time. So Yeah. Um, I was like, nice. This is the transition I was clowning on. Oh, oh was it? <laughs> that was- I was like, could could they not have skipped this later? Because they they go fight, flashback, back to the fight. I was like, could you not have put this like after the fight? I kind of wanted to see the whole thing play out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of liked how they did it because they start the fight. We don't know who's going to win, what's going to happen. And then they cut back and we get the conclusion of how all that went down. So it, it was good. I enjoyed it. And I liked knowing how they survived. So let's talk about it. Lil Toto. It's interesting. Yeah. Lil Toto wakes uh, or awakens and she's bandaged up with Giselle asleep right next to her and Bambi beside Giselle, unaware of how she survived. Last thing she remembers is attempting to attack Yuhabaha and getting her guts obliterated, like literally destroyed. And in walks a female Quincy, who is one of Ugrim's attendants. Lil Toto immediately believes that Ugrim is rounding them up to interrogate them for the betrayal of his majesty. And little Toto exclaims that she's not going to give anything up as she won't have. And then the Quincy replies that you won't have to as Ugrim has passed. So he's not there anymore. And she continues on as well as Yuha Baha at the hands of Ichigo and Aizen. Little Toto is like, wow, Ichigo took out Yuha? Like, that's that's crazy. And uh, 
Lil Toto asked what happens to what happened to Candace and Meninas. Meninas. I uh, what was her Meninas. short name? What, what's her short name? Min. Mini. 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 Like Mini. So she asked what happened to Candy and Mini. And the Quincy said that they attempted to retrieve them, but Squad 12 took them away. She says Nanana was also taken, probably. And Lil Toto's like, I don't give a fuck about yeah, that guy. That like, guy. Like, like, <laughs> I didn't ask about that. And so she asked what happened to the Royal Guard. Like, if like how was Yuha defeated if the Royal Guard was there? And she specifically asked, what about Gerard? And she says that they, too, were defeated with Gerard's power being returned to Yuha. With this news, Lil Toto's like, okay, if Gerard was defeated and the power was sent back, surely... I can kind of get that you how would be defeated, you know, and the Quincy says Ugram told her no, no matter what happens to keep the Quincy's futures connected. So she's been saving every Quincy she can find. Ugram told her this immediately after you had gone to sleep, which I assume is the one time that we saw in the anime. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and he basically went to her and when Yuha sleeps, Ugram has the power. And Lil Toto immediately is like, if he had the power, like, did he see this future that we're in right now? Did he I, see us losing? I like, like how she mentions, did he get did he get those creepy eyes? Yeah. And so the Quincy says that she does not know what he exactly saw. She's only following the orders that she was given. And Lil Toto's like, Okay, fine, totally get it. I'll keep Gigi under control and we'll make sure nothing happens. Cause Lil Toto like threatens that Gigi's gonna beat everybody's ass. Yep. And then eventually she's like, Okay, fine, I'll keep Gigi under control and then we'll fuck off. This Quincy leaves, which I th- I think we knew her name. I don't know why I didn't write it down. I didn't write it down either, but I, uh, I also uh, did not write it down. Okay, we this Quincy we, we do learn her name, but I, I, she doesn't come back as far as I know. Um, the Quincy leaves, and then we learned that Ugram did tell her one last thing, and it's about him not understanding if Udiu is supposed to be a final test for His Majesty, you know, like by His Majesty for yeah. Ugram. And he says that he knows that if he's unable to keep his emotions under control, his powers will be forfeit to His Majesty. And this Quincy that healed everybody up is wondering if Ugram had already known that and seen the future, what it is exactly Uru said or did to Ugram to make him still be able to, uh, unable to control himself. And then it says the next day, Giselle, Bambi, and Lil Toto all disappeared. So interesting stuff. Basically, um, I feel like props for Ugram through that whole thing where he, like, he kind of looked at the greater good. And even though Yuha, I feel like, was a... All in, balls to the wall. We're gonna sacrifice everything. Fuck it, we're gonna win. And Ugram was like, "Hey, just in case, because like you can see the future. You know, I'm sure you can see the many different futures." He's like, "Just in case, make sure you heal everybody." Like, and I think part of the directive was specifically like heal the letters and stuff like that. Like, make sure that they're all connected still. Yeah. Interesting, interesting stuff. But it's and it shows the two differences between Yuhan Ugram for sure. Ugram is a. Uh... So, you know, everybody was pissy that uh, Uryu was going to take over as the heir. Mm-hmm. You can really see why everybody would have been fine accepting Ugram as uh, Yuha's heir. Because he seemed like everybody kind of respected him. He had a level head. I feel like this also shows, because in the anime, in the first course that, that we've seen, a lot of people, even Baz B, is like, Ugram, why are you not fucking pissed? Like, why are you not yeah. saying anything? And Ugram is just like, oh, this is just what his majesty wants. But this shows that Ugram was like, what the fuck? Like, is this a test? Like, what is happening here? So even Yugo himself was like, what is going on with Udiu? He was just keeping his level head the whole time. Don't overreact. And that, that goes to show you. Because, like, the Quincy, are they are dysfunctional as shit, man. Mm-hmm. They do not like each other. <laughs> they liked him, though. Yeah. yeah. So we go back to Wekumundo. This is now present time where we just cut away from. And they explain that none of the Quincy's can use their Volsterndick anymore, especially after, well, they say after the Oswalan. And Lil Toto thinks that Uryu and his father could probably still achieve it, 
but they're enemies, so that doesn't do any good for them. Don't worry about it. And Gigi asks if Little Toto can just eat them. Even if the hall is poisonous to Quincy's, Little Toto says she could, but it's going to give her heartburn, so she doesn't really want to do it. The two continue to bicker back and forth, talking about how a lot of the reason Little Toto is going around rescuing these Quincy's in Wekamundo is to repay the one Quincy that healed them. But their ultimate goal is to rescue enough Quincy to do a surprise attack on the 12th Squad Barrack and save Candy and Minnie. Gigi asks, why don't they just turn Ichigo into a zombie? But Lil Toto has already thought of that as an option, and she explains basically in her mind it's suicide. She says that he is constantly surrounded by his dad, who's a captain, Uryu, the one who defeated Yuhab, Uryu's father, who's a pureblood Quincy, and Urahara, a war potential. So she's not going to fucking do that. Yeah. Not interested in seeing that. I love how smart she is, though. Mm-hmm. The she whole time she's just get, thinking she's about it. Mm-hmm. And all she wants to do is save her friends. Yeah, I see why she became one of my favorites after these books. Yeah. yeah. She's really good. So, I mean, as they're kind of talking about their options, Lil Toto is the one that finally notices that Bambietta hasn't finished them off yet. And she's just like, what the fuck is taking so long? And she looks down to see a pile of bodies have begun throwing themselves up, forming a wall to block all of the blasts that are going in. And now we go back in time a few minutes. They're doing World War Z shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we go to Manly and Lolly now, and they're freaking out as Rudebone is standing there, actually not freaking out, trying to figure out what Bambietta's ability is. And he figures out almost instantly. Rudebone turns and tells him that those loyal to Aizen should not show fear so quickly. And Lola yells at him, basically, I'm like, okay, Zamari. Like, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> and Rudebone is like, that's actually a great honor to be compared to Zamari like that. Like, like, thank he's you in so a I wish I was one. Yeah. That's my favorite line. So he, he tells him to behold his new ability he has honed as he sticks his Zampato into the ground and becomes his tree-like state that we've seen before and this new ability that he's honed is the same fucking thing we've seen before except now that his roots dig so far into Wekamuna they say that not even Rukia could freeze the roots this time and he's generating soldiers at a faster rate as well so the soldiers begin to surround Bambietta and it brings back this memory for Bambietta of the time she fought Komamura she began to fear the sight of the army and thinking it's her fight about a literal death god, Komamura, who had ripped out his heart to stake on the battle. This time she's even more freaked out, though, because this is more foreign to her as these people that are attacking her are not staking their lives on anything. They're not putting it on anything. They're not doing it. They're just throwing them at her. They were ready to die for nothing. Bambietta began to scream out for help just for anyone to save her. And just then a it says a, quote, white sinister undulation made the army of skull soldiers vanish. We quickly find out Lil Toto just gone ahead and eat, eat yeah, all she of them. ate just everything, ripped them up. So that was one of the the pages I wanted to read, just because it's Bambi going through horrible fucking PTSD. Yeah, I was like, fuck, I felt bad for her. And I like they set up this huge PTSD that she's having, where it's like she is fucked up by Komamura, and then they go, this one fucked her up even more because they. These guys that she's fighting have no reason. They're not staking anything. She's scared to death of death, and they're just throwing it at her. So, so let, let me read this shit because it goes hard. Uh, when she had fought Komamura, she'd been seized by a fear she had never experienced before. The Soul Reaper had said, I did not throw my life away. I simply staked it on this match. In that moment, Bambietta had genuinely felt the terror of facing a true god of death. But now the skull faces swarming her were even more foreign to her. They weren't staking their lives on anything or throwing their lives away. They were simply soldiers acting as though they had no life. So good. That's such a good, That's really good writing description. As though their their own deaths were merely a part of the system, the horde of skulls accepted their unnatural death as they came for her. They were neither hollows nor beasts. It was as though an enormous swarm of insects had formed a colony to bring Bambiet into their own cycle of death. 
They would strike terror into Bambietta, the living corpse, the horror of which had been fundamentally engraved into her soul and brain. Temporarily activated the girl's psyche, only to give rise to the voice of fear. And then it's her screaming, no, 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 I'm scared. <laughs> Brutal. And once again, I feel like this drives home as well. Poor Bambietta, man. Yeah. She continues to get fucking clowned the whole time. I, in my notes, all I wrote was, rip Bambi fans. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like she gets she gets dunked on in the one fight she has. She gets dunked on as a zombie, and now she's getting dunked on in the novels too. Yeah, it's bad. I'm like, it's a, a rough show. Just let her go, let her die. And then I wrote in my notes, I'll just uh, it's uh, Komamura gave her the same P- PTSD that Levi gave to Zeke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Jeez. So after we find out that Lil Toto has eaten the soldiers now, she comments that none of them have any nutrients, and she's only able to probably do that another two times max. The Quincy's begin to rush after Rudebone, hoping to kill the man that is creating its army, but Rudebone puts up another wall of skull soldiers blocking Lil Toto, and she bites into it, hoping to basically get them all in one go, and she sees that there's nothing behind the wall. At this point, Lolly jumps up behind her, attempting to attack Lil Toto. Lolly uses her resurrection to go into that classic centipede mode that we've seen her use before and attacks more. Just she's about to hit Lil Toto. Lil Toto swallows her resurrection. That shit was crazy. Eats it. And part of Lil Toto's ability now is that she once anything she eats, she is able to understand and use. And part of that means Lil Toto is now able to fire poison arrows at the skull army. So Lil Toto works, looks, looks around trying to give, still stay on Rudebone to get rid of this army that's attacking them. But they cannot find him. So she decides, hey, fuck it. Might as well kill Loli. So she turns to start trying to attack Loli. Of course, in classic fashion as well, Minnelli begins to run towards Loli, hoping to save her. And just as she fires an arrow, it is blocked by a wall of water. And we see that Hallible is here. Not yeah. only Hallible, but Grim. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Goes well, and That's now right. the gang is here. And Grim Joe is mad at Rudebone for not inviting him. And <laughs> poor Rudebone is like, dog, I've asked you so many times to help me fight the Quincy's. I like how he just wasn't interested before. Yeah. He's like, I've asked you, and then Grim Joe goes, Oh, well, I'm only interested in the big guys, and these guys seem fun. <laughs> I'm, like, Dude. I'm like, poor Rudebone, dog. He's basically probably begging poor Grim Joe, like, please help me. And he's like, nah. He's like, I'm, I'm chilling. Mm hmm. This dude is constantly on, like, anti-Quincy patrol out there. He's like, Grim Joe, we could use some help. Fuck off. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> yeah. He's just hanging out in Las Noches the whole time. You know what? I'm, 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 here's my headcanon. A rude bone asking for help all the time is why Grim Joe was so irritated when, when those assassins run into him. <laughs> yeah. 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 So after that exchange, Nell chimes in, telling Grimjo that he needs to identify the abilities of his enemy before heading in, as that's how he was almost defeated by Quincy in the Soul Society. And just as all sides begin to fight, they're hit by a chilling, creepy spiritual pressure as a small Garganta-like gate opens in the sky and a small, androgynous-looking child descended into the sand. Everyone comments how the spiritual pressure basically feels like a mix of a hollow and a human, and Grimjo immediately thinks back that it reminds him to uh, some blonde-haired guy. It's Shinji. Yeah. It's like some dude with a mask. Like, yeah, it's Shinji. Uh, Halibald calls that it feels more like Aeon's spiritual pressure. 
And the child looks around and sees the Quincy stating that he hasn't received instructions for the Quincy's, but no matter what, he must do what Lord Tokonata asks. Halibol says, stop, who are you? And then we, of course, find out that's Hikone. Hikone says that since Wekomundo no longer has a king, he's been told that they can be the new one. Rudebone says how ridiculous that a child thinks they can be Lord Aizen's replacement. And Hikone says Lord Tokonata said no one would accept my claim. And in that case, they were I was told to beat them and bend their will until they accept me as king. Hikone draws his blade and says, revolve around the stars, Ikimokodomoe. So we see that he has a sword that was hey. stolen from Oetsu. And that is the end of chapter three. Is that not a baller release command? Yeah, yeah. super fucking cool. And the I stuff we chapter. find about how the sword works coming up i thought was really Same, especially the fact well. that grimjo's the one that realizes it and goes like huh it's cool doesn't make sense it's really really cool so i we'll, we'll find out more we're gonna obviously cut away when we get back but anything that i missed in that chapter you guys want to touch on i had something and i forgot about it okay. so just pretend i just made a really good point oh, oh good nice, point nice, yeah that's nice. really good i didn't even think thank about that. you <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I have the the thing that uh, I was just like, oh, Rudebone calls him Master Grimjo. Yeah, because Rudebone is like your classic kind of like military guy where he's still loyal. He's still like yeah, just, loyal all the way. Mm-hmm. So in his mind, Grimjo and Espada is above him. Yeah. You know? All right. So let's see. I wrote down uh, Ru- Rudebone is a pa- it's Rudobon. Oh, Rudobon. Sorry. I'm I'm gonna keep calling him Rudebone because fuck you, you can't stop me. <laughs> I root. Ru- uh, rude bone hand rude bone handling business and i love that lowly and mentally are just jobbers yeah they went from like they went from eisen's bottom bitches to just like all right you're, you're part of the anti-quincy force and go do it uh, so they mentioned some characters from spirits are forever with you uh, they mentioned roca and the picaro mm, okay, okay yeah because i was like i don't know who they are I know, I'm pretty sure Roka, I know from also Bleach Brave Souls, is the nurse, Arankar, that w- was with Yami that got smashed. Yeah, she's the, well, she's alive again because spirits are forever with you, you know. Yeah. She, so she's, she's hanging out and the Picaro are all of the. Oh, the kids, the kids that are, that are with uh, Don Kanoji. Yeah, so. It, oh, so that's it, what they are? He says, yeah, he says the Picaro don't listen to me and also they're hanging out in the world of the living anyway. So I would like to imagine they're all hanging out with Don Kanoji right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you think you see how good my barely bleach knowledge is from Bleach Brave Souls? Pretty good, huh? That's really Brave good. Souls keeping alive, bro. <laughs> yeah, because I totally saw Roka. I was like, oh, I know who that is. I was totally. like, I do not know who this is. Uh, so, so there was a difference between the anime and the manga that kind of makes sense here. In the manga, you know, uh, right before the Ashwalan, Lil Toto is going and she's finding uh, Giselle. Yeah. So uh, in the manga, she's alone. In the anime, she has gathered a whole bunch of uh, random Quincy soldiers with her. It shows that she's kind of a leader. Yeah. And that makes sense because now she's in here trying to get all the Quincys together. Holding him down. We love Lil Toto. Yep. Holding it down. Uh, and I just wrote, Wakamudo can't catch a fucking break. <laughs> no, ah. They really can't. And I feel bad. Um, I might have mentioned this a little bit later, but I'll talk about it right now. I feel like poor Halibur is just shown that yeah. she just gets fucked up. It's just, They're taking yeah. advantage of her. Time and time again, she's just getting fucked up. And even at the conclusion of this fight, she says something. I'm like, man, it's not a good showing for Halibur. It's not. Uh, she gets a better showing later. Okay. okay that's, let's what, go. that's what we like to hear. She just, dude, she just wants to live in peace and not have anybody be hurt. But she has to live in Wicomundo. With Grimjo? With Grimjo. Nell keeps him under control. Yeah, Nell yeah, seemed a like a good bit. voice of reason so far. I really like Nell. Yeah. I, I like the double team they have. The Nell and Halibel get along really well. 
Yeah. Yep. And then she's the Grimjill's Wrangler. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> Halle, Halle Bell's not going to argue with you. Nell will. Yep. And it's just fantastic all the way through. Like, she makes fun of him, pokes at him. It's dude, it's so good. I like that they established that Nanana was a fuck fucking creepy lecher. Yeah, yeah they're so just like funny. fuck that guy. Because a guy with a, a skill called the underbelly would be. <laughs> oh, and uh, so Giselle talks about uh, what's his name. She talks about somebody, and I can't remember if she was talking about Charlotte or Mayuri, but she calls them a bedazzled tramp. Oh, it is Mayuri. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because I think they also referred to him as a, the sun pervert later on. Oh, yeah. I said I like the idea of jobbers fighting jobbers because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we we always get the main cast, Ichigo versus Okiyor and all the captains fighting. I like the, the shit Quincy's versus the shit Aronkar. I'll give them some time to shine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what this book is all about. So it makes sense. We, we got we got a jobber on the cover. <laughs> I, I love this jobber, by the way. I will talk shit about Shuhei. He's like one of my favorite characters. There you go. It's good to put an asterisk there. And then I just thought I'd remind you of the lore of when an Aronkar loses part of themselves, it's fucking gone. Oh, that's right. Unless Orihime brings it back. Unless Orihime brings it back, like, Saruchi, she, like, throws away her wings, and she's like, yeah, they're gone now. Forever. You could undo your resurrection, it won't come back. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, Lolly's never getting his back. Yes. So, it it didn't take away her resurrection. It just, like, I think it took, like, a bite out of her arm or some shit, so that's just gonna be there. Damn, that's tough. That's rough, dude. It's super fucked. And I thought it was a really interesting way to compare Hikone's aura to the to Aeon, the Chimera mm. Parker, the Trace Bestias. Yeah. Because that makes so much sense. Mm. And now we get to go to another chapter where Shuhei's going to get fucking roasted again. <laughs> <laughs> was yes, this chapter let's, four? Let's kick it off with chapter this four, was then. one of the shortest ones go in there, too. It. It, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't it wasn't bad. So chapter four, we kick off on the ninth company barracks and Shuhei is thinking about his magazine, talking to Kensei about Tozen and the royal families. They this is a very short interlude, but they talk about the, how the royal families are basically horrible and they wish that they were all like Yoruichi, yada, yada, so on and so forth. Um, they talk about Omida so cool and cute, you know, yada, yada. Uh, Hisage basically says that he is still unsure if he's going to take the job for the bulletin. But we quickly see that that is not the case because we go over to squad one barracks and this is half an hour before this the previous conversation about the royal family even happened so hisagi walks in tells kiraku he'll take it he'll fucking do yep. the special posting uh, but he is going to look into it and verify if it's worth doing the special issue kiraku asks hisagi if he has a personal grudge against tokenata and hisagi says he does but he's not gonna let that affect him kiraku says even if rangiku attempts to seduce you, i fucking love this yeah this whole section Hisagi's right like up. no and says he isn't someone like that at all and he looks it now like to back him up and it now turns away and then he looks to muguruma who is the other lieutenant of the first division and he is straight up like well i mean like after omida Hisagi's probably the most susceptible to that kind of thing and uh he, he, he's talking him. He's like well what about fucking renji and he said i think he also says he says Omida has already kind of had that lifestyle with the money, and he's probably been, oh, I, uh, in their phrase, the sensual luxuries. Yeah, so he's been desensitized to it. So Hisagi's probably, then Hisagi stops him. He's like, well, what about Renji? What about Renji? And he thinks back to the time where Mayuri had informed both Renji and Hisagi that he can give the Zanpakuto a sex change. And he's like, well, Renji and I both reacted the same. <laughs> They're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 one thing. Uh- Amuguruma, that's Kensei. Yeah. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. My bad. They're they're out of the the zombie pods. They're they're human again. Got it. Got it. So Kensei's the one that. Um, 
after that, Hisagi changes the subject. That's a losing conversation yeah. for Hisagi, but so funny. So, so, so Damn, funny. they got him. And I just, I think back to all the, like, random little episodes of Bleach or yeah. all the little, like, uh, like cones things. And it's always him just getting all excited because uh, Rangiku yeah. was around. Yeah. So it's like the little filler episode stayed pretty true to Hisagi and Shue. It's pretty good. And uh, that, that whole sex change thing, I'm pretty sure that was, like, an animated short that they did. It was one of the... Illustrated guys to Soul Reapers, and they're both like, "Yo, let's do that." And this <laughs> is before the Zon, and this was before the Zontok Toe filler arc. So people are speculating because, like, we get to see like Zagimaru Renji went through with before. it. Yeah, because Zagimaru was like a baboon with a snake mm-hmm. tail, and they're like, "Did Renji go through with it?" So funny. So uh, here, Sh- Shuei changes the subject, goes to ask Kiraku if he can ask him about something else. And he asks about Genjo and Ukatake. Kiraku says, oh, mm-hmm. that guy, well, Ukatake asked me to extend his execution as long as possible until they can- because they cannot officially exonerate the guy. Kiraku says, now that you've brought it up, could you give me some more time? Ukatake was attempting to deal with it all on his own, so there are some parts that even he himself are not sure on. But given my new position, I'm sure I can clear up the ambiguity and even find something to give Genjo a part in. And there's a possibility it will unveil a criminal in the Soul Reapers. So with that information, Hasagi agrees to wait. Very, very interesting. So uh, basically, Kiraku himself knows of what happened with Genjo. He's like, listen, he still wants a man. Hoping to fix that, but just give me some time. I don't really know. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. That's exactly what I wrote. I'm like, huh. So he knows. What an interesting thing. He knows. In like all the fillers, whenever some weird shit's going down, the first guy to go to the library as soon as we. Yeah. It's like, like, all right, I got to go figure this out because no one else will. Mm -hmm. See, we thought he was just a chill drunk captain. That's what he, that's the image he projected. Yep. Yeah, and that's why you see when uh, he goes serious mode, where everybody's like, "Oh shit!" Oh, yeah, everyone's okay. like, "Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's fucking right." Like, when have you, I can't think of a moment in Bleach where Shunsui has talked shit about anybody, but in this book, he's like, "Man, fuck Tokinata, I hate him, <laughs> I hate <laughs> yeah. that bitch." Which we find out some more coming up, so it should be actually mm-hmm. I think coming up very soon. But let's continue. We go back to the present with Shuei. He's on his way to the Eleventh Company to cover the Soul King's left arm. He's, he wants to talk with Yumichika and Ikaku. Hisagi was trying to see if there's a connection between the Soul King's left arm that they saw in Mayuri fight and the one that was inside of Ukatake. But both of them don't really know anything, and they say to ask Mayuri, but Mayuri's declining to do any sort of interview, so he can't of talk course. to Mayuri. And Hisagi asked if there was anyone else that saw the fight. And Ikaku says he's pretty sure that Hanatoro was right next to him yeah. the whole time. So now we're going over to the fourth squad barracks. Uh, Hanatoro, he's like, yeah, I didn't really see anything. I was caught by uh, Miyuri Zanpakuto. He's like nerve He's like, I <laughs> yeah. was just kind of laying there. He's like, I was like paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I was like, poor guy. Yeah. And this, dude, this keeps happening. Do you remember he got like caught in the ice? Yeah. yeah. yeah he, did. Was, he, oh. he got paralyzed by Zomari or some shit. I want to mention my waifu was yeah. mentioned. Yeah. It yeah. was a beautiful yeah. fight. She's mentioned a couple mm-hmm. of times as well coming up. I don't yeah. think I gave her the mention, Jose. I'm sorry, but she she is mentioned as, you know, oh, he like Namu's not there. So Mayuri's doing his thing. It's like, okay, cool. He's out I of like control. They mentioned later. This is Mayuri's way that he grieves. Yep. Yeah. So after he uh, finds out that Hanatar doesn't really know anything, so Hisagi's like, where the fuck else can I go? And he does mention that he was given special permission by Kiraku to go to the aristocrat district. But even if he goes to the aristocrat district, he doesn't know where he's going to start looking. Hanatar says, I actually know somebody that is in the aristocrat district. And of course, it's his brother Sonosuke. And he says that Sonosuke has the day off. So Hisagi thinks that if Hanatar's brother is available, he must be nice like Hanatar as well. And he asks to please be introduced to his brother. And there is a quote from 
from the book that I quoted exactly. It says he had no idea how drastically that decision would change his fate. Yup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the fun part. We're gonna go back to Kiraku here, but before I go, Hanatora, I love him. I got nothing he's but love hilarious. for Hanatora. I like him. So I am sure I could see some people as thinking he's a little bit of an annoying character. Love the guy, dude. He's the only reason Ichigo is still alive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about. I don't know if I have already skimmed over it, but they talk about how, aside from, I think I did. Aside from a lot of the people inside, like Unahana and things like that, he's still third seat. Hanatora's yeah. third seat in the fourth division, and a lot of people really respect Hanatoro. Even like high up people are like, "Yeah, Hanatoro's great. Like he's yeah, really good at what he does." They all talk about how good his keto is, mm-hmm. uh, how brave he was healing everybody, yeah. all of that stuff, and like how he's worked yeah. on many high profile names that he's mm-hmm. done this too. And they say, I think they said something along the lines of like, "The only thing that they don't like is his personality. <laughs> like he's like, like a downer." Face. Yeah, yeah, they're like, "Yeah, they see his face and they." think he's about they're about to die yep i mean when you think you think about like bravery right and the whole line is uh fearlessness is stupid you can only really be brave when you're afraid of something mm-hmm. and there's like the classic scene of they're about to get rukia out of the tower then biakia comes down and his spiritual pressure is crushing everyone and hanatro says go ganju this isn't your fight i'll take care of it and he is scared like crazy but yeah. he's still like i can do it mm, i'll yeah. protect you how can you hate on a that how can you hate on I would get on my knees and beg for forgiveness. I am a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't fighting Biakia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Someone like Biakia appears in front of you. It's like, fuck, we're done. It's over. Just give up. Hey, mm. what are these flower petals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh, hey, look, pretty flowers. Dead. They're the flowers that'll mark your grave, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the squad one barracks, continuing with the novel, Tokunata storms in with a bunch of guards and demands that the room be cleared so that he could talk to Kiraku. Tokunata straight up admits to Kiraku that he had stolen the household. And Kiraku responds like, oh, well, like, can I take that as your confession that you did all these crimes? I love Kiraku mm-hmm. during this segment. And too. Tokunata <laughs> is just like... No, I was just being sarcastic. Come on. I fucking hate him. <laughs> I hate him. And they talk about it in like the uh this is outside of the dialogue that's happening, but they talk about how like Tokonata smiles in a way, letting him know like, yes, it's true, and you nailed it's it. It's that stupid smirk. I have to specifically tell you I'm being sarcastic. He's such a motherfucker. Yeah. Yep. So Tokonata continues and goes, uh, to say, although a lot of the Central 46 has changed, he personally has not. And we learned that Suni Ishiro was the, considered the leaders of the noble families, only behind Squad Zero and the Soul King themselves, both of which don't get involved in politics. So for all intents and purposes, Suni Ishiro is like the top dog. Tokunaru said, or Tokunaru, Tokunada says that being uh, that being said, he still has quite the grudge against Kiraku, as he is the one that originally got him caught for his double murder. Yep. And Tokunada yep. says that he was on the way to playing the part of a grieving husband until Kiraku stopped him. Holy I, shit! When, he, when I read that, I was like, mm-hmm. "Motherfucker!" Yep. I hate you even more. So Shunsui's my man. Shunsui's the boy. So good. And Kiraku goes on and says, you know, like, oh, well, you know, having said that all stuff, there's something that I have to ask for your pardon for. And Kiraku goes on to say that until he had learned the truth about what was going on, he always thought Tokunata was behind Rukia's execution, granting her a much harsher punishment than the one that someone would normally get. Tokunata says, oh, and for what reason would I have to do that? I've never met her. Kiraku explains that that the Kuchiki were not the only people who were talking when Byakuya married someone from the Rukongai or tried to adopt Rukia. The Suni Yashiro raised objections too. Tokunata says again, 
what reason would I have to do that? And Caracas says, a man like you needs no reason. Maybe you did it just to pass the time to rile people up, especially the aristocrats you despise so much. Tokunata tells him enough, and then it's mentioned here specifically that Tokunata is still smiling, though, as if Kiraku nailed everything right on the head. When he said that, I was like, you piece yeah. of fucking shit. I fucking hate you. But we wouldn't have gotten say it with without me. him. Both of you say it with me. Fuck, Fuck that, that bitch. <laughs> Fuck him. I hate him. I hate him so much. He's the best villain in Bleach. Dude, it, okay, well, come well, on. Come on. Come on. We're going to throw Aizen in the bus like that? We love Aizen. Well, I said villain, not antagonist. Okay. Okay, okay. But, yeah, <laughs> so good. and so interesting to think about the political aspect behind it. I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Aizen's plan was really weird. And, like, you know, everybody, the Central 46 is being weird. I don't know what's going on. And Shunsu's like, fucking Tokinata, probably. Yeah. And it seems like, for all intents and purposes, from what we know, that was Tokinata's game plan until, of course, you know, Aizen came, went through and fucking swooped out on Central he, 46. And it was like, hey, no, don't worry about it. We're already going to give her max punishment. Let's execute that bitch. And he's yep. like, all right, cool. And then the just the whole, like, yeah, I figured you out. Mm-hmm. Fucker. So good. After this whole conversation, Kuraku figures him out, nails him. Tokunata continues on like, nah, I wouldn't do that. You know, "Ah, that's not Uh, me. Kuraku asks like, so what brings you out today? Tokunata says he wants him to get in contact with Yodoichi. It's not even the aristocratic families know where she is and hands Kuraku a letter for her. He asks what it is he's scheming as she is no longer head of the Yodoichi clan. Yodoichi is passing on to her younger brother, who is now the leader of that clan. And Tokunata says nothing. It's just a proposal for fostering harmony in the Soul Society and Wekomundo. Tokunata continues on trying to prove Kiraku bringing up, uh, or trying to provoke Kiraku. And he starts to bring up Ukataka dying. And Kiraku, you know, no biggie. Don't let it bother you. I'm going to just move on. And then he asks if he, uh, Kiraku asks if he knows Genjo. Tokunata says he does. It's the dog that bit the Soul Society set up by Ukatake. Kiraku then is like, okay, that's all I actually needed to know. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I was like, hmm, and what are we getting? Unable to get a rise out of Kiraku, Tokunata begins to leave. And uh, he says, by the way, I had nothing to do with your mother's death now. Now looking at an empty corner of the room. And he continues saying that if he did, he would have made it way more painful and excruciating, just like what happened with Rukia. And he wonders if Kiraku would have had it in him to destroy everything, making him the enemy of the Serate like Ichigo did. And he goes, No, he would fail her in all of the name or if he would fail her all in the name of saving you. Kiraku asks if he is done speaking to himself and glares at Tokunata. Tokunata feels his spiritual pressure grow cold from Kiraku and grabs his Zanpak toe. And he's like, Okay, I know better than to stay here and get my throat cut and then leaves. That is some fucked up shit right there. Yeah, so well, it, it, we oh. find out it's a little fucked up. Let me finish the last little thing. So Kiraku waits for him to fully leave and then walks over to the corner that we thought was empty, now finding the now there, having concealed herself hiding in that corner. And now says that his spiritual pressure was so grotesque and states that she is not for him becoming the new head of the Four Noble Clans. Kiraku thinks himself how long it's been since now has stated her own opinion on anything, and he goes, I agree. And that's the end of Chapter 4. I like how he's very mm-hmm. nice, though. He he comes back to her, embraces her with a warm spiritual mm-hmm. pressure, puts her at ease. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're still a good guy, man. But like, oh, think, my God. think of that bitch Tokunata of yeah. he failed to get any sort of a rise out of Kiraku. Could not do it. Could not fucking get him to do anything. And Kiraku was, I feel like, winning the exchange. Like, kind of poking and prodding mm-hmm. him as well. And so what does he do? He 
he turns his sights to Nanao. He knows that getting a rise out of Nanao will get a rise out of Kiraku. Yeah. So he immediately starts fucking with Nanao. And even Kiraku says once he figures out that Nanao was there, he congratulates her. Like, oh, you did such a good job. Like, I didn't know you were there. Mm-hmm. And, but Tokinata knew she was there. It's like crazy. He's like the Joker almost. He just wants to do things to fucking just fuck the world. Fuck Tokinata. <laughs> I, I hate him so much. And, in fact, Sam, you skipped a bit. Would you mind? Go ahead. If I see, it's not as though I'm the shadowy mas- the shadowy mastermind behind everything. If I had if I had authority back then, I would I would have made it such an easy end. I would have teased her as much as possible the way Ruki Akuchi was tormented and made a big deal of big deal out of killing her. And I would have given Kiraku a front row seat in the Garden of Judgment. Yeah, I was like, Whew. yeah, the was whole like, bit so of this like hypothetical game that they're playing. I was like, fuck. I would have made him watch too. Mm-hmm. God damn! Like, what, of a, cool. what an asshole. And like, I still feel ultimately Shunsui kind of won the exchange, but like. You don't really see him flexing his spiritual pressure ever, and then it goes fucking ice cold as soon as he starts fucking with it now. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it's it's an interesting little bit of exchange to happen where I feel like Tokinata admitted that he could not get a rise out of Kiraku. He's like, yeah. oh, well, this is boring, you know, like like when you're picking on somebody, it's like, oh, it's boring. I'm not getting a rise. But what can I do to get a rise out of him? Pick on someone super close to him yep. who I will get a rise out of. And you can think of like the shitty playground behavior. Of you going, fine, fuck this. Oh, wait, but one more thing before I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fucked your mom. I fucked your mom. So really good chapter. Lots of really good exchanges that happen in there. Um, anything that you guys want to touch on before we move on to chapter five, which is the last technical chapter. There's an interlude that happens afterwards. I know. Uh, just like, again, the way Shunsui held himself was probably the most impressive part throughout mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Even when Tokinata... He mentions, hey, you're just standing over there talking to yourself. Are you done yet? Ha ha. Yeah. He plays it cool. Yeah. Listen, I just had to go through harassment training for work. And uh, <laughs> now, not like I harass somebody how to do it. We have to do it in California. Yeah. Okay? We, have to, <laughs> so, we have to do it every, so, every couple of uh, uh, years. Every year. You have to do yeah, new harassment training. Especially so for management. Part of that, they tell you what are things you can do to uh, like interrupt harassment, harassing mm-hmm. treatment. Like how can you, and there's direct and non-direct. Mm-hmm. And the way that Shunsui does it is non-direct. Did he you have to watch the video? Like, yes. I had oh my God. Two hours, two hours. Um, and the non-direct way is like, he basically was like, Oh, you done talking to yourself? Like, you know, made a joke, swayed him away. And he was like, okay, fine. So, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Because you could have just done, like, the direct thing would be call him out. Like, hey, fucking knock it off. But he was like, oh, you done talking to yourself? Hee hee. And then just, you know, had to move on. Any any time that Shunsui is on screen in this manga, sorry, this novel is the best. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen. I, I say it again. Big Kiraku hater with what he did for my boy Stark. But Thousand Year Blood War version of Kiraku, he's been killing it. Been killing it. Uh, so I wrote down in my notes, uh, they 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 mentioned Captain Kotetsu, so my girl got promoted already. Love oh, that. Nice. Love I, didn't that. Even, I didn't catch that. Which makes sense because, I mean, Unohana fucking died like yeah. before the start of the whole second invasion, so they probably needed to fill that spot immediately, especially with all the injured Soul Reapers they were talking about having. Oh, and you're right because Kiraku does mention Lisa having influenced uh, yeah. now, and mm-hmm. then how she's going to be uh, seated for, what is it, fifth? Eighth. Eighth. Squad eight. Shinji squad five, man. Come oh, on. Oh, that's right. Bulk Shinji's up, man. Uh, so I wrote uh, Shun Sui to Super Sleuth. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we're we're on fuck that bitch Tokinata number three. <laughs> okay, love yeah. that, love that. And we didn't talk about it, but Tokinata called Yuroichi a shrew. Oh, he yeah. does call her that. Fucking dick. And then I wrote, fuck that bitch Tokinata four for talking shit to Nanao like that. <laughs> yeah, fucked up. I fucking hate him so much. And I think you can say like the beginning of the chapter when they're talking with Kensei and Hisagi and they're kind of praising the Yoruichi family. And yeah. they're like, yeah, I wish. And then we go to Tokunata. That bitch is a shrewd. She sucks. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I was like, wow, fuck you, dude. Yeah. If there was any other reason we needed to hate this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do a really good job just showing you that this guy's just a piece of shit. He, he, he is the worst. What? He's my favorite villain. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for chapter five, the final chapter? Hell, fuck yeah, I am. We go straight to the aristocrat district. Hanatoro is showing Hisagi around. Hisagi, we find out, is, here we go, massive debt to the Urahara shop. He has loans out with him. <laughs> I was for dying all when I of read the that. Reishi conversion for all things guitar and motorcycle. He had to get an electric generator for his electric guitar. And they comment here that Omida is said to have his own jewel mine. Yeah. So they go like, yep, the rich get yep. richer, I guess. That's how you kind of – because they talk about Omida invited him down before to come hang out, go get something to eat. He's like, could not afford it. I have loans that all my stuff go through. I can't eat anything. Well, he talks about how uh, vice captain uh, or lieutenant salaries are okay. But they're, they're, good. they're good. So what Hanatoro says is like you couldn't even afford on your uh, like vice captain salary. And that's when we find out that he has massive loans where He's almost like, all hey, his man, paycheck Let me tell you, I have addictions <laughs> to motorcycles, guitars. Yeah. Yeah, I think he says a lot like he doesn't regret it. He would totally do it every time. And I, I think the implication later on is they're like, it doesn't cost that much. It's just, it's just Urahara. <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah, he's just going to jack up the prices because fuck it. Why not? Yeah, he's a businessman. He's the only distributor of uh, real world uh, goods. Outside of Lisa. Yep. Outside. Well, she has certain Lisa's goods. empire. The um, It's really successful, by the way. <laughs> I bet. Uh, so they they do mention that uh, assistant captain salaries are not bad and captain salaries are really good. And when he was acting captain of Squad Nine, he got paid both. Damn. So what? The, so what the fuck is is Kisuke charging? <laughs> it's just towards Shuhei, though. Yeah. He's 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 just taking advantage of a man. Well, I feel like Urahara is that guy who would know Shuhei is a sucker. And he's yeah. like, I'm gonna get this guy for all that he wants. He's like, hey man, yeah. this is the newest in uh, motorcycles in the real world. Oh, you're right. If, K- if Kago goes to Kisuke's shop, is he gonna be paying more than Mizuhiro? Yeah, 100%. yes, one hundred percent. I want a whole book just about that. Mm-hmm. So they also mentioned how the Suni Ashiro estate is basically built to be really tall, and that's outside of the norm for the style of housing in the Soul Society. Because normally for the noble families, it, you know, they go for wide, they don't go for tall. But that one in particular is built as if it's almost looking down on the other no, ro- royal families. Because you fuck know, them. Mm-hmm. Short interaction there when we, and then we hop over to the twelfth division, and we meet Mastro's sister, who we've previously talked about in one of the episodes, yeah. and part of the research and development department. She's named Nico. Kuna. Akon is also there. The whole usual gang is there hanging out in the 12th department. And Akon is alerted to a strange spiritual pressure headed towards the aristocrat district. But he tells everybody to stand down, don't monitor it, leave it, as the noble families themselves have cleared that spiritual pressure and sent a non interference request. Akon does note that although they're not monitoring it, 
he's pretty sure me or he's doing it yep. because he doesn't fucking listen. He just does whatever he wants. I'm like, all right, hell yeah, respect. By the way, I need I need recognition of Akon as being the guy that saved all of Soul Society. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. We love Akon. And Akon Never forget. in the Hell Arc. Ooh, baby. Kind of fly. That's what let's just say. Yep. So we go now to the Shino Seiyakun waiting room, which is the fucking uh, you know, Sonosuke office hisagi and hanatora are waiting to meet sanosuke and they have gone back to where he works and that he is out for now so they're just trying kind of chatting in the waiting room and this is when we find out also very interesting that Byakuya's scarf that he wears all the you time that down too? is so yeah. expensive it could be used to buy 10 mansions yeah oh, well build did, them too mm-hmm. oh did you guys not know that no. no, I did not know that. I was like, my boy, that and drip is too insane. I've seen it rip multiple times. One of Yaki's little hair things can also buy multiple motorcycles. Yep. <laughs> I like, <laughs> like how translating all of that to like, shit, I can get that many motorcycles yeah. and stuff. Well, also you think about all the battles he's been in. Like if the scarf gets fucked up, damn, Yaki is fucking built. Dude, Byakuya has so much you cannot possibly imagine. Uh, I love they're they're just discussing the waiting room and they're like, Sonosuke doesn't really like, you know, frivolities, but it's opulent anyway because the nobility could not stand to be in anything unadorned yeah so they wanted a a fancier waiting room than the fancy waiting room they already had so Sonosuke, yes. they, they talk for Hanatoro, where he's like, yeah, Sonosuke, as my brother, does not like all this extra shit. Doesn't like it, yeah. not interested. But he knows that the aristocrats are basically never going to wait in this waiting room. So they had to make this whole, like, and he said even with the stuff that's hanging up right now, where it's just incredibly fancy, it just barely meets, like, the requirement, the requirement the aristocrats yeah. would want to see. And he's like, that's because of Sonosuke. Uh, so Hisagi begins to feel a strange spiritual pressure coming from outside. And he looks outside to see a Garganta appear from the ground. And out appears Hikone, who is so badly covered in wounds. that They say that he could have been mistaken for an actual corpse had he not been standing. And Hanatoro immediately, once again, credit to Hanatoro, runs in and immediately begins to heal. He Hikone fucking attempts Deku's to save that him. Shit. Yes. He runs in there. And so Hikone's eyes begin to tear up, basically saying, like, don't heal me. Like, I was unable to fill Lord Tokonata's request. And there's no reason for him to live anymore. Hanatoro is unable to close up the wounds of this kid because his spiritual pressure keeps changing. And just as they start calling for help, trying to see if anybody could help them call for an emergency room, Sonosuke appears behind them and takes over. And in an instant, they say Sonosuke was able to close up the wounds and heal him enough to move him on to the emergency room so they could take better care of him. Hikone, the whole time Sonosuke is working on him, continues to protest and not be healed. But Sonosuke reminds him that he is Lord Tokonata's property. And he would be quite upset if he were to lose him. And Hikone immediately was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like, you're right. I got I got to look forward for the greater good. Hikone responds that he uh, – oh, sorry. Hasage asks, what's going on here? What is the relation between you and Lord Tokonata? He's trying to still investigate what's happening here. Hikone responds that he is Lord Tokonata's servant, and he said that he will make me king one day. So I have to repay that debt to him. We're uh, – Worth noting, Hasagi said that it's not like he is someone um, – so Hakone, as it's been described multiple times, like a young child. Uh, Chue says that it's not someone like Hitsugaya, where clearly like they've lived a long time they've and they're just kind of stuck in that body of a kid. This is like a kid kid. Like it's someone super young. Sonosuke stops Hikone at this point and asks him if Tokunai told him that he could just tell everybody all of this information. And he's like, oh, yeah, right. So Hikone asks that he be forgotten, and he says he won't forget them, though, and he will repay them when he becomes a soul king. 
And uh, Sonosuke asks to have the interview delayed by Hisagi for one more day. Hisagi agrees, and Sonosuke reminds Hisagi that this is the aristocrat district because he can sense like Hisagi kind of putting this together and mm-hmm. like, this moral justice that Hisagi has to want to help this kid. Like this kid showed up so badly injured, and Chewie's like, "The fuck is going on here?" And so Sonosuke is like, "Just to remind you that this is the aristocrat district, so normal soul reaper morals don't apply here." Sonosuke then gets up to leave with Hakone back into the Shino Seiyaku, and Hisagi is still, like, in doubt that any of this happened. And he had said that had it not been for the blood on the ground, like, Shuhei would have just, like, not assumed that this was not real. Like, yeah. none of this would have happened. Disregarded. And a quick little bit before we hop over to the next location. Um, Sonosuke, real quick, begins to heal Hikone and just comments about Hikone how losing to the hollows was all within the calculations and he won't let Hikone die even if the child has no hope. So Sonosuke's in on it. He's 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 in it. He's when part when of I read that, I'm like, you fucking little bitch, you're nothing like your little brother. Mm-hmm. And this is when I wrote down the school shooter thing because he does give an aside to Hanatro. Hey, you should consider what I said. Maybe take a couple days off. Yeah, he says saying. it again. I'm like, oh, yeah. But this like, time when he's saying it with Hikone, this is like proof for yeah. like Hanatori was like, hey, you see this? Like, this is why I told you to take some time off. And now, if you were Hanatori, you'd be like, fuck. Okay, maybe I start thinking about it. No, Hanatro is too good of a guy. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were a normal human being, it's like, damn, all right, yeah, this guy did show up fucked up. Oh, yeah, and I'm just going to read it from my notes on this one. Uh, he says to Hikone, forcing life onto patients who want to die is a hobby of mine. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was like, damn, I dude. They, I think they talk about it as this whole exchange is going on is that the way Sinosuke is saying it is like very jovial, like kind of like doctorish, yeah. but it's very sinister at the same time, like the stuff coming out of his mouth. It's, it's really cold. Mm-hmm. And then I did want to point, I'm like, because I think Shuhei says it at one point, but he says, Oh, it sucks because when he felt the ominous spiritual pressure, he his immediate reaction was to go for his sword. But then yeah. remembers, wait, I can't carry my sword anymore. Only during war times am I allowed to yeah. have it, even as a lieutenant. Yeah, and they say that in any time outside of mm-hmm. that, only the captains are yeah. really allowed to carry their zombato in the aristocrat district at all. Like he had to check it at, re- at the reception receptionist. Desk. Yeah. yeah, and like remember, like it was a big deal during the Soul Society arc where they mentioned, okay, special wartime provisions, you guys can put your swords on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of really cool stuff. I like that we're kind of getting into the aristocrat district because I feel like it was mentioned many times in Bleach proper, but we never visited there. You know, we never no, went to go yeah. take a trip there. We never went to go see what was going on there. And obviously there's this whole political spectrum behind it. And I feel like this book is doing a really good job of kind of diving into what goes on. We see Omida, but that's Omida. He's the funny haha man. Yeah. Yeah. He's just rich. He's, he's just he's just he's like the one rich guy outside of Biakia. Everybody else is just kind of either normal or like Shonen Sweet who doesn't flaunt shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I like it. I like it so far. I love the Aristocrat District stuff. I like learning about it. And like they talk about how I think they said the Tokonata's household is directly across from the Kachiki household and how different the two of them are set up. Where it's like you can still tell the Kachiki household has a lot of money, but it's not built in the same way as Tokonata's house. It, it's interesting. If you ever think about like looking at anime and there's like a rich character, their house is never, if it's a Japanese style, at least, it's never massive and tall. It's, it's just wide. fucking wide. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we do get that even in like the little shorts and stuff after after the episodes where uh, Yachiru goes to mess with Byakuya and he's like just hanging out and you can see how long his house is. Yeah. And, and you yeah, know, it's... Yachiru starts building secret tunnels all over yeah. <laughs> his house. Yeah. So yeah, like, like he's. Got... 
got a lot of hallways, but it's it's like a story. It's just you know it's got big gardens and shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, here's they they mentioned uh, Hitsugaya's child form. So here's my my lore. This is some K Lab stuff. Uh, somebody asked, so did uh, did Hitsugaya ever grow in between the end of the series and the Hellark? And uh, I think Kuo said, yeah, he grew a centimeter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I almost feel like that's leading to like uh, Dragon Ball Brawly, the movie, yeah. where he, he needs to find the Dragon Balls and wish for seven more inches. <laughs> it's like he's going to get the <laughs> freezer like, around. tall guys. Yeah. Hello. That, dude, that was so fucking funny. That's the best part of the Broly movie. Yeah, it's so good. So after this whole interaction in the Aristocrat arc, we immediately go over the Weko Mundo, back to where everybody loves to be. And we see that Roka and the Tres Bestias are all here. And they've all arrived, and uh, Roka is busy healing all of our favorite characters, you know, Lolly, Minnelli, Rudebone. And this is where we get the, some information about the sword that Hikone was using. And Hallible comments on how strong the kid was and that he had the physical strength of a captain. And Hallible mentions had it not been for Nell and Grimjo being here, and the Quincy's joining in. She wasn't sure it would have gone well for any of mm-hmm. them. And Nell, uh, actually, Grimjo's the one that brings it up originally, saying how weird the Zanpak Toe was. And I think Nell's the one that nails it down and says the Zanpak Toe was moving on its own. And it was even the one that opened up the Garganta for the kid to escape. Yeah, that's when they're both they're both like, <laughs> yeah. what Zanpak Toe can do that? This is weird. Yep. And then, of course, Grimjo's being a badass, and he says, like, he got his arm fucking cut open. He's like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. Just leave Fle- it. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. And Grimjo does comment here that the kid is a lot like Ichigo from what he can sense, and that each time they're on the verge of death, they're going to be reborn and become stronger. And at this point, Grim just straight up is like, fuck, I should use my resurrection and just kill them. Like, yeah. I should have just killed he him. He said, right I there. missed my opportunity yeah. to kill him. He regrets doing because he knows that if he comes back next time, it's going to be bad. He's a goddamn Super Saiyan, dude. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> and a quick little tip, tidbit, because this is the end of the chapter, so let me just get this last little bit in. We switch over immediately to somewhere in the world of the living. We see Lil Toto, Bambi, and Gigi. They've all ran away. They're hiding out discussing the battle. And one thing of importance that's noted here is Lil Toto notes that not only was Hikone using an Aronkar's hero, which is how he, you know, it's the, the skin, hard skin. The hard skin. But he was also using Quincy's blute vein. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, mm-hmm. well, fuck, dude. Yep. Interesting. And, and that is the end of chapter five. So we have an end left after that but interesting i was like that kid is pretty much ichigo right now so yeah and like so here's an interesting part for me like we talked about bleach brave souls i know hikone very well from bleach brave souls i know his movesets very well from bleach brave souls i did not know he was using a ronker skiero i did not know he was using blue vein mm-hmm. that's all new stuff to me i would not have got from bleach brave souls this kid is physically as strong as a captain yeah because i think halibut comparison to hitsugaya at one point like yeah it's like yeah. very similar He's really strong. Interesting. Uh, by the, I guess, or they, I guess right? We should, yeah, we should get the pronouns. It is neither he nor she. It is they. Hikone literally has no genitals. Spoiler. Okay. Because there's no, there's no need. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably screw up and say he at some point, but it's they. Yeah, because I, I saw it worded that way in the book, too. It says they or them. Yeah, and when he's introduced originally, it straight up says, like, you can't even tell what gender. Yeah, they it's, are. it's like, just a beautiful no child idea. with an androgynous face. We got no clue what's up with this kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so chapter five, anything to touch on that we might have missed? What do you guys think? Because that is technically the last chapter chapter of the book. It's interesting seeing Grimjow be the guy like, what the fuck is actually like, happening? The fact that he listened to Nell and thought about mm-hmm. it, which was mm-hmm. I was like, well, he's, yeah. he's growing as a person. True. And I always like because, you know, you think – uh, any animal character, right? Animal instincts are good. They're supposed yeah. to be like, yeah, they're fucking like Grimjo spe- specifically. 
animal instincts, man. He's a fucking panther, you know? And, like, his instincts should be kicking off. Like, yo, what the fuck is up with this kid? Like, what is going on? And I like that he can actually sense, like, yeah, something was wrong with his sword. Like, something with that sword was not right. And it's interesting. Well, I think Nell says, or I don't remember if it was Grimjaw or Nell, but the sword picked him up yep. and took him. So I was like, what yeah. the fuck? I think Grimjaw was the first to notice that something was going on with that fucking sword, and then Nell was the one where, like, yeah, straight up, it, like, moved it for moved him. It moved on its own. Yeah. Like, it, like, sensed that Hikone was in danger and moved and acted on its own. Yeah. Well, I accidentally Googled the name of the sword, <laughs> so I know what it is, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You know, I always oh, that one from BBS. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the little addition where they're like, yeah, the Quincy's had to help out or they were all fucked. And that's how they got away from the situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's and this is, this is one of those times where for me, once again, I feel like poor Halibol, man. Like yeah. she's supposed to be the, the standing queen of Wekomundo. And like each time we see her so far and obviously with a thousand blower stuff, she just gets fucking roasted constantly over and over. And I'm like, man, like, come on, Halibol, get a W. It will, it will get there at some point. I'm like, I'm like, she's working <laughs> on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> she, she needs one, man. Like I want her to show that she is like the queen, like for mm. a reason, you know, like she is the chosen one. For some reason, it doesn't matter what. They always mention that she is the king instead. So I think they just go exclusively with king. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just figured, you know, like you think about they've lived their whole life there. And they're like, yeah, fuck it. Whoever's in charge is the king. That's all they know. Yeah. Okay. The king is the one in yeah. charge. Is that. And, you know, just just like with Shunsui, Halibut doesn't want to fucking be in charge. Which <laughs> yeah. is why she's the, be- like she's the best one to be in charge. Yeah. She's not there because she's the toughest. She's there because she's the best one. Yeah, yeah, I just like true. how I was feeling about Shunsui. I need Halibut to show something. You know, I need I need to see a little something, something. We'll get there. All right, all right. Yeah, yep. the interlude. All right, we ready to hop right into the interlude then? Let's we're do we're it. about to get to wrapping this thing up. Let's go. So there's a lot of changing of places in the interlude because we're going to wrap up a couple things and then we're going to head into volume two. Not this episode. There's already been an extra long episode. If you're still here with us, Thank you guys so much for hanging out. We appreciate it. Let us know what you guys thought of the novel so far. Let's go into the interlude. We go several days later than the Rukong guy, and we see Genjo. Genjo is walking around when he sees a disturbance happening, and he asks what's going on. It's explained that recently a lot of the new dead people arriving have been creating problems. And normally when the new wave of dead people arrive and they enter the Rukong guy, the people that have already been living there, they basically come in and reassure them and settle it. So the normal way is that when they come here, they have problems settling their faith that or they have problems that their faith was wrong and that this is how it actually is. So then the Rukongai citizens, they come in and they calm them down. They fill them in on how it actually is. But now Genjo then heads over to go look and find a member of someone that's causing disturbance. And they're saying that this is it. This is exactly how their leader described what it was going to be like after they die. And Genjo goes to speak with the guy and is like, uh, and the guy immediately sees Genjo coming and he's like, Oh, judging by how you're dressed, like you must've just recently died. So you know about our organization. Genjo's like, no, haven't heard about it. Not interested in me recruiting. No, thank you. And then replies, well, it's execution. And Genjo's like, his eyes go so wide. He's like, yeah. what the fuck is and going on? Genjo even comments that he kind of figured somebody would take up the mantle, but not in this way where it would specifically get back to him. And it seems like it's so weird. He didn't expect it to become a cult. Yeah. And so he immediately thinks like none of his full bringers would have been the ones that carry this on. So it can't be like Yuki or anybody. And they wouldn't be spreading the information like this Mm -hmm. where like basically leaking the afterlife. So he thinks maybe a soul reaper kind of let something loose. And at this point, 
he starts beginning to ask about the founder, like, hey, like, who's the founder, you know? And Ginjo, before even thinking that, before asking about the founder, he's like, listen, I don't really, after everything that happened in the real world, I don't really have a purpose. talk is dead. Like, you know, I don't have something I'm working on currently, so why the fuck not play detective for a little bit? And that's when he asks about the guy for more info and about the founder, and that is all we get from that scene from Ginjo. I'm so mad at that. I'm like, fuck, I need more. <laughs> really interesting we go straight though to the department of r d jose where you know your woman is mentioned here this is about the grieving part i don't think i wrote it down Sad. um mayuri is now done with his research on soul reapers ronkers and the quincy's and now he wants to move on to the full bringers and he knows mm-hmm. that three are hiding out in the rukong guy akon protests like well like if we do this won't like squad one be mad like we shouldn't do this and mayuri class is like fuck squad one don't give a shit <laughs> yeah and akon continues saying that the three of them have been shown to be at least low captain level in power so like are you gonna go out and get him like what's your plan Mary's like no I'm not gonna fucking do that and he opens up a uh, new wall basically turns up behind him and says don't be absurd and reveals a bunch of humanoid figures being held in water capsules and says this is the perfect time to test the Quincy's versus the Fullbringers and that is that but that being said that is when it's mentioned that part uh, Akon is thinking when Mary's being so aggressive about all this stuff and that is when it's mentioned that Mary's basically grieving the loss of Nemu and this is kind of how he's dealing with it is this uh it's mentioned that Mary's being much more aggressive yeah. than normal and that's mentioned as it being part of the grieving process for Nemu all right P baby rip rip uh, I'm, I'm doing the the cross right now <laughs> <laughs> so we hop over now to the Suni Yashiro household and more assassins arrive to kill Tokunata and Tokunata comes like oh well attack me while Hikona's hospitalized very nice very good and most soul reapers when they retire they turn in their zanpakuto which is mentioned before and it says Tokunata had to do that as well but the Suni Yashiro household has a zanpakuto that is passed down from generation to generation and luck would have it Tokunata had already stolen it before he even got the title that he was looking for and before he even became the head of the house and the name of Tokunata's zanpakuto was very similar to Hiraku's and he says offer Kuten Kyokuku Kyokuku whatever we want to call it and that is when we cut away from that scene Fuck Tokinata. <laughs> I am such a dick. Yeah, fucking really good. And I think he senses the assassins there at one point. And he asked if they could just leave. He's like, can you guys just fuck yeah. off, please? And then he's like, fine, fuck it, we'll do it. And they like try to basically jump around and stop him from pulling his Zanpakuto out. And he's like, yeah, you guys are underestimating. And that's when he does it. I fucking hate him so. <laughs> then we go to the Seirate, which it says it's at the main thoroughfare. And Hisagi is on his way to interview Urahara and bumps into Shinji. Mm-hmm. Shinji asks, like, oh, you're headed to Urahara's shop? Like, great. Make fun of Mihori for me if you see her. It's going to be great. I love that. And she, she was like, well, fuck. If I make fun of him, I'm going to get hit. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and Hisagi. beat my ass. Yeah. And Hisagi is basically hoping to be able to do an interview with not only Urahara, but potentially Ichigo as well. And Shinji you know, was like, oh, okay, well, you know, have fun. And Hisagi goes to leave. And Shinji turns towards the aristocrat district, thinking of uh, the mention of what Shinji was interviewing for. And notes that Yoruichi did tell him that some fishy things have been happening there. And Shinji thinks he sees something fluttering in the sky above the aristocrat district. And he goes, oh, I hope this doesn't lead to any trouble. And yep. moves on. That's the end of that scene. So setting up some maybe potential appearances in volume two, potentially. Hmm. We now go to a very interesting scene that I cut down very much. So please let me know if there's a favorite line that I didn't go over here. We go to an undisclosed location in the Serte, and we see a meeting is being held with Tokinata, Yoruichi, and Byakuya. 
And this meeting is being held in a very old room used by the five noble families, and it has not been used for a long time. They they mentioned that it was most likely last used when they outed the Sheba clan. Mm -hmm. And the reason why not all of the noble families are there, not the four noble families, only the three, and Yodoichi is being used as a proxy for the Yodoichi family, um, or the Shioan family. And um, they say that's because there's a law that was passed that not all of the noble families can be in the same place at once, specifically the leaders of the noble families, in case, heaven forbid, they all three were to have died at the same time, they wouldn't lose the whole royal family leadership. Tokunata states to them that the reason he's gathered them here today is because he wants to reinstate the Shiba clan and get the Soul King's blessing to make the five noble houses a power even greater than the Central 46. And with that blessing, the noble families will rule over all three realms. And they say that they that is the Soul Society, the human world, and they say Wekumudo or, or hell. hell. When I saw that, I was like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? Yep. Eyes get wide. Extremely wide. I was like, what? <laughs> Interesting. Huh. I was like, I got to write that down. Yep. I, I went down the rabbit hole in my brain. <laughs> I, I, it's too long. It won't make sense right now. So, so Tokinata himself like, is like, well, listen, you know, currently the Soul King cannot give blessings. And Yoda, I think it's Yoda. Like, so what the fuck's the point then? If you can't give a blessing, why, like, why are you yapping? Um, and Tokinata says, you've never wondered why the Shiba clan was given such a harsh punishment and treated worse than the poorest of poor aristocrat families. Tokinata believes that Central 46 removed them so that they can never have more power than them and basically sets up this power struggle. Byakuya responds that even if this were the case, neither Ichigo, Ichigo would want nothing to do with it. And Tokinata's like, well, what about his sisters? And Byakuya when he said that, I yeah. was like, he dug that deep yeah. in Ichigo's family? And they mentioned, I think it's Yodoichi was like, well, I had no idea you were going to do so much of looking into this. And, and Byakuya's like, well, his sisters don't want anything to do with it either. Mm-hmm. They're not interested. Plus, Kukaku and Ganju have already said they are not interested as well. Nobody in the Shiba family wants anything to fucking do with the Shiba family being you know, royalty again. And Tokonata says that none of that even matters. As soon as the next Soul King is chosen, they will have free will and he will give us his blessing. Yoruichi finally figures out why she exactly was called here, not her brother, who is the actual, of course, head of the house. And Tokonata is like, can tell that she's yeah. figured this out. And Tokonata says, well, yeah, you're correct, because you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And he says, you've seen mm-hmm. the state of the Soul King that Ichigo cut down, but you don't know what it was. You don't know what the Soul King was from the start, but Urahari Kisuke knows. And that's the last mm-hmm. of that little meeting that yeah. we get there. So there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of kind of like polite shit talking that I kind of cut out of that. But super interesting political games going on there it's so political and mm-hmm. i did not expect that from bleach like yeah. we get the philosophy like philosophy of swords fighting you know all that other stuff but now we get the, all the politics behind everything yeah. and all the moving parts around this and I, I didn't mention the part where um it, it, tokenata being tokenata tries to get a fucking uh win out of everybody try to get some yep. reaction so one of the ways that he tries that for biakia is basically calling him a shithead for falling for eyes and stuff for mm-hmm. like tr- trying to execute rukia it's like yeah like you try to fucking speed up the execution for your own sister and Byakuya just doesn't even he's like you're he's, right I fucked up I'm like, on phase yeah he's like I'll take that but it's Yoruichi the one that's constantly like fuck you like what are you yeah. doing and, and so it's this interesting power balance between the two because Yoruichi's not gonna take shit yeah she don't give a and fuck. I think at one point I think when they were talking about the Rukia execution Yoruichi it said she was ready to beat his ass yeah it, but it wasn't until Byakuya like put his hand on her and like told her to stop and they also yeah. mentioned when they sit down at the round table the two of them both chose the seats farthest away from Tokunata yeah. on purpose. He's at the one point, and they're sitting all the way on the other yeah. side. And then they mentioned like Biakia sat up all proper, and uh, or and uh, he's just sitting cross legged, like chilling. 
was it Biakia that goes, oh, I guess they did clean this place or something. Yeah, it was Biakia. It was Biakia. Okay. And Tokenai said that he had it cleaned up since it was last year. Uh, mm. uh, so j- I just wrote down one thing, which is uh, Yuruichi mentions, because uh, I think uh, this is when Tokenai is doing the nicies, and she's like, oh, yeah, really? Because I thought you thought I was a shrew. Yeah. <laughs> Roasted. Fucking love. I love mm. Yuruichi so much, dude. So we pop back over now to the Soul Society. Hisagi is in front of the Senkaimon now, and he's on his way to speak to Urahara. So this is my last one where I actually want to read the page here. So let me pull it up really quick. I'm going to go All to right. page 243, going to 244, and you'll see why. It's very similar to something I've already read. So. It says, Konami Tozen is shining the light for him when all he could do was run in fear. Hisagi believed that the correct path was not the path he walked on, but the path that he had shown himself. Shuei Hisagi was neither a prophet nor all-knowing. He naturally had no way of knowing his future. He did not have an unfortunate destiny like Ichigo Kurosaki. He did not have the torrent of power that Kenpachi Zaraki contained. He did not have the deep sagacity and the groundwork of Hisuke Urahara. He did not have a curse-like curiosity etched into his konpaku, like Mayuri Kurosuchi. He did not understand being continuously burdened with responsibility like Byakuya Kachiki. He did not have the resourcefulness to control multiple spiritual pressures like Toshiro Hitsugaya. He did not have the time to lay the foundation of who he was like Genryusai Yamamoto. He did not have the temperament to sidestep anything like Shunsui Kiraku, which we saw just a second ago. He did not have the passion to rewrite the justice of the world like Sajin Kamamura. He did not have the firm outlook to stick to his path like Kensei Muguruma. Later, a Soul Reaper who knew everything about the conflict said this. Because he was him, because he was the Soul Reaper Shuhei Hisagi, he had exactly the qualifications the world wished for. So interesting yeah. again and once again it just goes to show where all of these characters like you know someone like hisagi he is surrounded by these extraordinary individuals all the captains extraordinary all the ex-captains crazy and it's like but because hisagi was just him was just hisagi he was the perfect man for the job imagine being just a regular soul reaper and you're not surrounded by like some average tier captains you have byakuya you have uh you have yama you have kimpachi that's just three. It's just three of the captains, and you got all these others. You got Unohana, you had Gin, you had Aizen, and you're just some guy. And they talk about even earlier in the story about how um, the generation where Hisagi graduated the Soul Reaper Academy actually produced a fuck ton of vice captains as well. Oh, yeah, that was during Hanatoro. Yep. So they talk about even for the lieutenants, he's surrounded by extraordinary individuals. It was, let's see, it was uh, Shuhei, uh, Renji, Kira, and Momo. Mm-hmm. So, and then the final little bit on that page, uh, it says exactly when did Tozen stray from the path he has illuminated for Hisagi, or did he never stray from it? Dot dot dot. And that's when we hop over to the very last bit, the very last part of Volume Two. Several hundred years ago, Soul Society. We go back to the Tozen dream flashback that we saw him currently being dragged away by the guards. The guards are dragging him away, and they're basically preparing to beat his ass. Tozen closes his eyes, like for real, closes his eyes, even though he's blind, ready for it, just him to get fucking clobbered, and he stays there. And he hears the sounds of one of the guards hitting, but it's not him. It's not hitting him. He doesn't know what's going on. And Tozen opens eyes, and he can tell that the guard truly believes that he is hitting him, but is instead attacking the other guard, one of his own friends. And that's when a Soul Reaper, uh, someone else, speaks to him and says that he replaced the water in their canteen with alcohol so no one will know. Tozen asks who he is, and unlike Tokunata, Tozen makes a note that this man made no effort to hide the sharpness in his voice. 
and the man asked Tozen, would you surrender your hatred to me for a while? Ooh. And Tozen could feel an overwhelming power from the man as he extended a hand out to Tozen. And the man continued saying, my name is Sosuke Aizen. At present, I am still but a humble soul reaper. And this is continued in volume two. I loved it. That was so a great good. way to end it. Yeah. And final drawing is of Aizen, Aizen. holding his hand out for Tozen. A young boy Aizen. Glasses Aizen. Yep. yep. So incredible stuff. And it's interesting. I like how they open the book with a flashback. They close the book with a flashback. They also did the same thing with Shuhei. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without saying, like, he's not this person. Yep. He's not this person. Super well done. And as you can see, I feel like in terms of a Bleach story, right, you think about Bleach as a whole, the mainline story for Bleach, there was not a lot. There was almost no fighting in this. There really mm-hmm. wasn't, and especially Volume 1. And this is all of Volume 1. You're like, let's say this came out, first thing drops, boom, here's Bleach. There's, like, almost zero fighting in this thing. I think assassins get fucked up, and then, oh, we do have the part in Wakamuna, but we cut away. But we yeah. cut away. We don't even get to see it. For Bleach, that is so odd, so weird, but it's so good. It's all lore, and you can see why, like, even from the first volume when people ask, like, hey, like, what's up? Like, it's in Camp Fear World. Like, oh, you want to yeah. know more about the, the districts? Can't fear your own world. Oh, you want to know, you know, shoot, like, Byakuya, Yoruichi? Can't fear your own world. When did he sign a captain? Oh, it's, it's mentioned. How did Kensei get back? Can't fear your own world. Like, it's mentioned in there. Where'd Aizen go? Where's Ichigo yeah. at? All of yeah. those things. Do you understand? Do you get it now? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's two more volumes, with volume two being probably twice the size of the first one. So there's a lot of shit still left to discover. And I'm not going to spoil shit. I will just say there's a bit at the end of that novel that is better than the end of this one. God damn it. Because I was looking at this like I can't say nothing because we haven't gotten to the good shit yet. I know. And I remember you telling me that this first one sets up everything in the second. Yeah. the the This is set up. They begin to act on it in book two. And book three is just payoff, payoff, payoff. Oh, yeah. I love that. Hell yeah. It's going to be so good. So now that we've covered the whole thing, uh, first let me ask, anything in the uh, the interlude that you guys want to touch on that I may have skipped over? Any final comments on that? I can't say anything. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, I, that's I'm, fine. I'm leaving it more of like I'm excited to see the rest. Because the interlude very clearly, and you could tell like I, I took very m- minimal notes on the interlude because a lot of that stuff, it was – Look at this thing happening. Cut. Mm-hmm. Look at this thing happening. Cut. It's set up. Set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. So really fucking cool. Really cool. I'm very excited to read volume two. I think it's going to be super fucking good. Um, I'm glad we finally got to it. So I know we promised November. We're, I think we're cutting it in right at the very last second, last, getting yeah. this one out. But thank you guys for hanging out. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, If you stick through it, it's a long episode from what I'm seeing from here. We're at two hours already. So. Yeah. Incredible. I do have a couple of bits um, not related Can't Fear Your Own World that I just want to throw in really quick on the end. So I previously brought up that Jump Festa is coming up. It's yep. going to have a Bleach panel. It's going to have Burn the Witch panel. It's uh, kind of like panels for a convention where they do big announcements. A lot of stuff like last year, we got a Bleach one and all they announced was merch. Mm-hmm. So that being said, this one is uniquely positioned where there's not really any bleach news coming out right now so i'm kind of hopeful that we'll get some bleach news maybe i I don't think so but in my forest of dreams a release date for when the new bleach series comes out i think we will 100 get burn the witch news whether that be the continuation of the manga but the reason why i'm bringing this up is december 17th is when the bleach panel is going to happen 
there will be no live stream for the event. So oh, there isn't there. Yeah, they did a live stream in the previous, I think, couple of years. Yeah. But COVID is done now. So the, and that's not something that they had previously done. So there will be no live stream for it. We will cover the news when it gets dropped, but there's no live stream, so we can't watch it. So it's going to be all secondhand information through Twitter or probably like an anime news network or something like that. We will cover it in the podcast. So if you guys want to know any of the new stuff that's coming out December 17th, our podcast directly after that, we will keep you guys up to date on that stuff. Um, and it will be scuffed. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yep. But we will talk about it then. Uh, a little sad that there's no live stream for it, but what can you do? They they have, uh, I think, the voice actor of, of course, Ichigo Uriyu. They got like a bunch of big they people got a good, there. a couple, so. but a mm-hmm. bit of them. It was and a little have, sad when I saw that. I have a, sort of a surprise for you, Sam. Sure. Uh, so I watched uh, our, our boy, Gabe, stream. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, hey, do you have any opinions on Can't Fear Your Own World? And so I wrote them down as a little a little gift at the okay. end of the podcast. So these are Quartz Daddy's opinions of Can't Fear Your Own World. Ready. Says, and uh, no spoilers, obviously. There's stuff he says that I'm saving for book three. Okay. He said he loved that it gave new light to overlooked characters really? and that uh, Shuhei quickly became one of his favorites. I believe his name is still like uh, Weeb's Guild, but with Bonkai Shuhei on the Discord. <laughs> yes. Yep, that is a character in, once again, Bleach Brave Souls that I cannot fucking get. Oh, that was the only character I ever wailed for, and I got him, so I'm happy. Yep. Uh, he's uh, he's happy they brought the Quincy's back, and he, he really likes and is intrigued by the idea of a generational Zonpok toe that you hand down. Okay. Yeah, I think that's very cool. Mm-hmm. And that that is the end the other stuff okay, I can't say. Right. Okay. Very interesting. So we'll Excited. get the rest of his thoughts at the end. And of course, if you guys have thoughts on volume one, leave them in the comments. Tweet at us. Instagram. Discord. I'm trying to be a bit more active on. I'm horrible at anything social media. I apologize. <laughs> but I'm trying. All right. So let us know what you guys thought in the comments down below. I do have one more treat. And Pythes, you already saw this because you hearted it on Twitter. Um, Did I? How will I? Uh, let me see if I'll set this up. So the leak, there's been a leak for Bleach Thousand Year Blood War, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the final episode of Core Four, the script, has been leaked for it. For Core Four, mm-hmm, for Core Four, and Ishigo Taicho Nine on Twitter has translated it. So we have the leaked ending for Core Four. So I'll read the first little bit to you guys, and if you want to read the rest, you guys can go check it out on Twitter. So. The final episode begins with the two protagonists talking as they walk in the Garganta. It's Ichigo and Udio. Ichigo says, where was I? And Udio says, you had the Spirit King's power continue to exist. Or you said the Spirit King's power continue to exist because the Spirit King had obeyed the 130th King, Ichibei, for a million years. Ichigo goes, that's true. The monk Ichibei, uh, this might be a little bit spoilers, whoopsies. Uh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> the monk Ichibei. Despite possessing tremendous strength, he continues to obey him. Uryu says, what prompted him to do that? Ichigo says, when I saw the memories of the spirit king in Irazu Sandu, I felt something. I couldn't believe it myself, but the king of spirits loved the 130th king, Ichibei. Uryu says, what? Ichigo says, that's what bound him for a million years. It is impossible to understand what lies deep in the spirit king's heart and his love for the 130th. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the spoilers that I just dropped. Okay, and his love for the 130th King Ichibei. But he undoubtedly, I can't even read the rest of this. But he undoubtedly lived in torment for a million years. For a million years, he searched for someone to free him from this torment, and then someone appeared. So someone freed him from the love for Ichibei. He says, 
That someone was Omida. Udu says, what? Did you say Omida? <laughs> and Ichika says, as I expected, you didn't listen to me. Udu says, why Omida? Udu says, well, only the Spirit King knows. And even I still don't know what the hero and new leader of the Gotei 13, Omida, who succeeded the late Kirako Shunsui, will do. But the thing I know without a doubt is the result that Omida caused. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Sorry, I couldn't even finish that without reading it. I just saw the Omida part coming up. Obviously fake. A spoiler. Mm-hmm. But that shit had me dying laughing when I read <laughs> this morning, dude. I saw that shit. And someone posted, like, the leaked core four ending. I was like, shit, let me read that You're shit. like, damn because uh, also Kubo has mentioned that core four meetings have started already. Yeah. They're already doing meetings for core four. Um, so I was like, all right, yeah, sure, whatever, man. Let me read that. I got to the Omida part fully enthralled in that. You're I was like, like oh I was my like, this is goodness. it. This is this is it. Yeah. And then they dropped Omida. <laughs> like, like, what? Uh, that shit had me dying laughing. There is still no. half of a tweet left of like oh, he goes on it for goes a even long further. time. If you want to read the full thing, I'll link it in the description. No, Sam. This is canon. Omida is the new leader, and Chad is the new Soul King. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. And as you saw in the leaked script, they're gonna kill off Shunsui. So this all anything that happens in Campfire World, filler now gone. <laughs> Imagine they change it that much, and Campfire World is the filler arc while they're working on the rest of the yeah, anime. Yeah, just so funny, dude. I was reading that fully enthralled. Like, I think I woke up and it was one of the first things I read. I got to the minor part. Like that shit's so funny, dude. <laughs> So, because I was only reading, like, oh, Soul King's in love with Ichime. All right, oh, yeah, that I, makes I mean, sense. The, okay, I the power follow. of love. Heard yeah. that before? And I was like, oh no, it's like now who saved Omida. him? Omida, Omida, the true hero and king of the. <laughs> they did mention some stuff, and I was like, Sam needs to shut the fuck up because we're getting to spoilers. Yeah, sorry, yeah, you got heavy in there. Yeah, I read the Ichime part, which I read this morning. Um, moment it came out of my mouth on the podcast, like, oh yeah, that's spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> but that was content. You saw that, and I was like, we're putting that on. Yeah, that's hilarious. I at the moment I saw it this morning and I replied to it and Pythes hearted it. So I thought you might have seen it already. I was like, that shit was so funny. <laughs> I saw your reaction. I was like, I'm too fucking lazy to read this. I'm gonna hit heart and I'm gonna peace out. Yeah, so good. Oh, all right. Well, I don't have anything else. A spoiler community is great. <laughs> so good, dog. So, okay. Well, thank you guys for watching. It was an extra long version of Bleach Boys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully it uh, killed up some work time for you guys. If you guys want, please make sure to subscribe, like the video, let us know what you thought of the format. Maybe we took too much of a summary. We're open for suggestions. We should be back covering the first part of the second novel. So, We've not quite decided the format on which we're going to take for that. We might take a quick little break in between and do something a little fun in between, a little bit lighthearted, and then we'll swap back. So let us know any comments, concerns. Uh, hit us up on any of the socials. We're at the Weaves Guild. All of that will be in the description. And we'll be back every week for a new Bleach Boys until we run out of content and lose our minds. So eh, have there. a good time, everybody. Happy late Thanksgiving. Happy early Christmas. Happy early whatever holiday you celebrate. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.